All right, y'all. Welcome to episode four of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. As always, I'm Kenny Cochran, joined by my co-host, Jake Hewell. That's me. We're excited to bring y'all some more sports content. We got some good stuff to go over today. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you, whether you're watching on YouTube in the live or later after the video is posted, or you're in Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to check us out on all social medias and all forms of, of content where you can listen to us and watch us. Um, check us out on Twitter at Peach State Pod. Check us out on TikTok at Peach State Tailgate. Uh, make sure you give us a subscribe on YouTube. Give us a like on the on the socials and a and a follow and a five star review, if you will, a review in general on on anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, we appreciate the feedback and look forward to bringing you guys some more content in the future. And Jake, why don't you get into it, man? What we got for him today? I wanted to say uh, I wanted to start off. That was a great introduction, by the way, Kenny. Uh. Thank you, sir. For some reason on the stream, we're having a couple frame drops. So if you're if you're watching the stream, my apologies. I don't think that should have anything to do with the audio. I think the video, like me and Kenny might just look kind of crazy. Maybe our voices ain't matching up with our picture. But uh so I'm sorry you're having to deal with that on the video. But on the audio side, uh, what's up, guys? Everybody? Uh I think we're gonna start off talking about some braids and we're getting some Matty Ice. Uh we have a video out of former UGA legend doing some stuff in the NFL we'll talk about a little bit later. Then we'll get into some um some SEC West over under predictions. So should be a fun night, fun morning. Whenever you're listening to it, it should be a great time on the podcast today. And let's get into some braids. What you think about that, Kenny? Yeah. So I wanted to start off. I think when I, last time we left off, it was Friday night, and uh, as we know, the Braves handled that game pretty well. Uh, I think the final score. I don't have. I don't have that one in my notes. Um, but I think it was like nine to six or something like that. We, the Braves held on and won that game. We we covered we covered a good bit of it in last podcast. So I didn't really want to cover too much of it this podcast. Um, so I'm gonna start off with game one on Saturday. Uh, game one, uh, coming off the big nine to six victory over the Mets Friday night, the Braves entered uh game one of Sunday's doubleheader with high hopes. Um, Jake Odorizzi was the scheduled starter for the Braves, and he was gonna go against Mets scheduled starter David Peterson. But in Odorizzi's debut, the Mets jumped off to a quick 2-0 start in the first inning. Um, they also extended their lead in the third with the Jack McNeil single that drove in Francisco Lindor. And, you know, it was kind of bad because earlier in the inning, Lindor moved over from first to second on a pickoff error by Odorizzi. So he kind of, he kind of caused himself a little bit of trouble. Uh, the run didn't go against his ERA, so that's nice, but it, it was, it, he kind of did a little damage to himself there. He uh came into the fifth. He started off uh, the inning with back-to-back strikeouts before allowing a walk to Daniel Vogelbeck. Tyler Matzik would then come in. He got out the inning. Uh, Odorizzi left the game with the Braves losing three to nothing. His final line was four and two thirds innings pitched. He gave up three runs, but two earned. Four strikeouts and three walks. It'd be nice to get that walk number down a little bit. But I mean, going against this Mets lineup and previewing a little bit how the other pitchers fared against the Mets too, uh, it wasn't the worst start. So, um, pesky man, pesky hitters. Those dudes, they're hard to strike out. They. You can't generate a lot of whiffs against those guys. They foul everything off, and you know they hit weak dribblers, and then all of a sudden come up and hit a tank. So, yeah, and you're listening to a podcast of two guys that will talk very highly on guys like uh, Orlando RC and Marcelo Zuna. So it's kind of hard for us to find the negatives. But today, I'm just going to give a little preview that it's it's going to be really hard for us to talk about too many positive. We're going to try to keep it on the positive side, but um, it, it definitely wasn't the best weekend for Atlanta. Uh. So Matzik came in, he walked both Nemo and Marte, and then Francisco Lindor came up and ripped a double into center field. Um, the Braves were finally able to make some noise in the seventh off Mets reliever Seth Lugo. Arcia led off that inning with a double, and Acuna would later drive him in with an RBI single. 
Uh, Acuna reached second later on in the inning with uh, Austin Riley hit by a pitch, and then Olsen drove him in with a two-out RBI single. Uh, still, in the seventh inning, we entered down 5-2, to two, and at that point, Bryce Elder was on the mound, and <laughs> this is one of the common themes that we had, even though we you know, made the game a little bit exciting for the fans. Elder came in. He pitched, he pitched an inning before that, but uh, he gave up three runs in the bottom of the seventh, so the, the Mets had an 8-2 to two lead, and uh, you know, we were able to make a little bit of noise off uh, Mets pitcher Yoan Lopez in the ninth, and we cut it down to eight to five after scoring three runs on him. But then the Mets brought in Edward Diaz, and the game was practically over at that point. Uh, the Braves lost that game eight to five. Um, Acuna, Riley, Olsen, and Contreras all provided double digit hit, or I said double digit hits, two hits, and uh, but it wasn't enough for the Braves to overcome. So that was that was uh, Saturday. The first game of Saturday's doubleheader recap. You got any, you got any comments on that one, Kenny? No, not really, man. It's Braves country. We've got a we've got a dark, dark rain cloud over our heads right now. Yeah, yeah, that's come. We're not really going to talk too much Braves. We got a lot more exciting stuff, some big stuff coming later in the podcast. So we're just going to try to push through this Braves stuff and get moved on to the next stuff. So uh, the second game of the doubleheader, every I think everybody in baseball was excited about this pitching matchup. Anytime you get to see a Max Fried, Max Scherzer matchup, it's always fun to watch. And it seems like every time we face the Mets, it comes around. So. You know, we were all pumped up for it. Uh, I don't think the matchup really lived up to expectations, though. Uh, Freed had a solid start, but some bad luck and some fielding errors, you know, it, it cost the Braves dearly. Um, the Mets got started scoring uh, in the third inning. Pete Alonso drove in uh, Mets catcher Tom, Tomas Nito. And with the, bra- with the bases loaded and only one out, Max Freed got his double, pl- t- ooh, double play ball he needed from Darren Ruff, but a throwing error by Dansby Swanson cost the Braves two more runs in the inning giving the Mets a 3-0 lead through three innings. Um, Braves' bat stayed quiet. Uh, it was tough to go out there against Max Scherzer. He was completely on his game. He was dominant. Uh, but, you know, the Mets, they added another runoff Freed in the sixth by way of Mark Canna. He grounded out, this, and it scored Pete Alonso. Freed got pulled after six innings. His final stat line was six innings pitched, six runs, uh, four runs, wait, six hits, Four runs and only two earned. Uh, he had one walk and five strikeouts. But Scherzer, on the other hand, Scherzer uh, only allowed four hits through seven innings of work with 11 strikeouts. The Braves finally scratched another run on the column in the eighth with an Acuna RBI double. But just like the game before, the Mets came back out in the bottom of the eighth and added two runs off Jackson Stevens. Contreras hit a home run in the ninth off Trevor May, but it wasn't enough. The Braves lost that game 6-2. to two. So we, we ended the two exciting doubleheader games 0-2. Uh, which dropped us to three and one in the or one and three in the Mets series, and then we had today's game, or if you listen to the podcast, Sunday night's game or Sunday evening's game at four o'clock. Um, so we had a couple, a little bit of news before Sunday's game. The Braves announced that they were going to uh, option Ian Anderson and Guillermo Herrera, Heredia. I'm sorry, <laughs> Guillermo Heredia down to AAA. They called up righty pitcher Oscar Enoa and catcher Chadwick Trump. Anderson and Heredia will uh both. They'll both be on the taxi squad the next week. I know the Braves have a doubleheader coming up against Miami next Saturday. So they're saying that Anderson's going to stay with the squad through Saturday and pitch one of the doubleheader games, the 27th man. And uh, so whenever that happens, after that happens, he's going to get dropped down to AAA finally. And he's going to go through his little stints and stuff. I know AAA's pitching coach is very like highly talked about and everybody loves him. So hopefully he can go down there to AAA and figure some stuff out. Now for Chadrick Trump, uh, as everybody knows, the last, second game on Saturday, Travis Dardo had a pretty bad collision at home plate with Pete Alonso, and he's day-to-day right now. So 
Um, Chadwick Trump will fill that role until Darno's able to come back. And when Darno's able to come back, I fully expect Guillermo Heredia to just be brought back up and Chadwick Trump to be DFA or something. I, it, it just for them to put Heredia on the taxi squad with Anderson. That's what that's the only thing that really makes sense to me. Um, and two, you look at Darno, the the status of his. I don't know if you um had this to go over as well, but Mark Bowman, who's uh you know been a beat reporter for the Braves for you know a long long time. I think like early two thousands. So he's been with the team for a minute. Uh, he reported that the X rays for Darno came back negative, and he's just day to day. Um, he did release this earlier today. I wanted to read it. Uh, Darno's lower right leg was X-rayed tonight. The Braves will announce the results in the morning. Everything looks to be negative. He felt discomfort after attempting to awkwardly tag Alonzo at the plate. But, um, yeah, he's day-to-day. He's expected to be okay. So I think they're being a little cautious with him. But uh, So that's some positive news coming from uh, Travis Darno. Oh, yeah, and to go back to that play at the plate, uh, Pete Alonzo was out. There's no doubt. They called him out on the field. He, they caught him out on the field. They go back to the replay. There was no definite evidence that he was safe, and they still caught him safe. So that, I'm not going to talk too much about it because, like I said, we lost six to two anyway. So right, we would have lost five to two. So I'm not going to be yeah. too upset about it. But it, it was it's an aggravating thing when you see so many of those things go against the Braves, and it seems like we can never get a, re- a review to go for us. So you know this is and the thing was this was one of those games with bad luck and uh. Fielding miscues, which is always a pain. Um, I'm sorry, I'm on Sunday's game. I'm going back to Saturday. Uh, so Sunday's game. Sunday's game, we had a good pitching matchup. You know, everybody's excited. We had DeGrom and Strider. You're about to see two hard-throwing righties that can reach triple digits easily. But for Spencer Strider, things did not go very well. Strider struggled early on. He only went two and two-thirds innings before having to be pulled. He allowed four runs over off six hits and two walks. While Jacob DeGrom is Jacob DeGrom still, I want to confirm that to everybody. Anybody that thinks he's not Jacob DeGrom still, uh, I think he got proven wrong today because he came out and he was perfect through, I believe he was perfect through five innings. He went to the sixth inning before he gave up a walk to Ari Adrianza with two outs, or an out maybe, and gave up a two-run bomb to Dansby. So Dansby uh, made a little bit of noise off DeGrom, and that cut the lead to, uh, that cut the deficit to three runs. DeGrom, in the second game back, he pitched five and two-thirds, one run, one hit, one walk, and 12 strikeouts. The two runs were all Braves hitters could come up with it before the end. They end up losing five to two. In the biggest five-game stretch of the year, the Braves were only able to win one game. And the Mets came up, came out and showed up, and the Braves looked asleep. Yeah, to interject there in the DeGrom situation, I had a couple things I wanted to read off from that. Um, so, first of all, good luck, guys. He's back. Um, DeGrom is still the truth. So unfortunate for if you're not a Mets fan, uh Jacob DeGrom is back and he looks to be back to uh to the Jacob DeGrom we all know and love to hate and hate to love. So um there's that. Another thing with DeGrom, um today cemented himself as the player with the most strikeouts in his first two hundred games in MLB history. Dang. Congratulations, Jacob DeGrom. I'll give it to you. You're not... Yeah, okay, out of everybody in the Mets, he is definitely the one I'm not going to talk too much trash about. <laughs> not at all. And something interesting with him, too, is he came into the game with a 75-pitch limit. So that's uh, an interesting thing to consider. You see a guy go in with a perfect game before giving up the walk to Adrianza. On the 76th pitch of the game, Dansby hit the two-run blast. Mm, they should have listened to the game plan. Yeah, so 75-pitch limit, 76-pitch, they pull him after the homer. Um, So that's just a couple things on today's game. And then also, 
Um, a couple things I had on today's game as well before we get off it. I wanted to mention um, kind of where we stand. Um, we've lost 10 of the last 12 series finales. Yeah, so been a struggle. That's, that's not a great thing to look at. Um, so that's, you know, really I had a couple things I wanted to go over at the very end once Jake finishes his full recap. So uh, I'll go ahead and let Jake finish if you have anything left for today's game. That's it for me. That's it for me. All right, so a couple things. Um, there's a couple negatives I wanted to go over. So I have a couple positives I want to hit too, but I think it would only be right to let those be the last things we mention for the Braves. What do you say? You want me to hit the negatives first? Yeah, let's hit the negatives first, get get the positives out of the way. I will start off. I guess I'm not done. <laughs> Here I go. Keep on talking. I'm sorry I'm a little bit go down ahead. through the Braves recap. I know usually we show a lot more energy, a lot more talking points, but this really felt like a, a killer blow for the Atlanta Braves. Now, not when it comes to playoff race stuff, because the Braves, you know, we're still up there. We still have that. We still hold that first wild card spot. So it's not too bad in that aspect. But for people like me and Kenny, who are expecting the Braves to win this division, and when you go out there, and since the last podcast, I think whenever we recorded in the podcast, we had lost the first game and we were winning the second game. So we were one and one. You come out and lose three straight and you drop to six and a half back. At that point, you start to get down. So. Whenever we move on to some later, yeah. Whenever, whenever, whenever we move on to some later stuff in the podcast, the energy is going to kick back up. We're going to start talking about some awesome stuff, aka college football, NFL football. But right now in the Braves world, everything's kind of a, a sad thing, like Kenny said with the cloud above our head. So Kenny, that's my negativity. I have very limited positivity, other than uh, Acuna actually hitting the ball well. And I know I didn't mention Acuna didn't end up playing in today's game. He got scratched with a uh, back soreness and um. Apparently, like you said, the wet conditions held him out. So and he didn't play today. But before that, he was swinging the bat. Well, it would have been nice to have his bat in the lineup today. But uh, that, that's that's my one positive is Acuna swung the bat pretty well throughout the series. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to get into the Acuna stuff because it's neither here nor there for me. I'm not a big, uh, you know, I'm I'm a little bit more of a, you know, <laughs> unless you're bleeding or broken bones. And even if you're bleeding, wrap that thing up and get back in the game type of guy. So uh, for Acuna, I get it's precautionary. He's dealing with the, you know, recovering from the ACL and, you know, wet conditions. They say they want to be cautious. But come on, man. It was sunny for, for nine innings. I'm sure it dried up a little bit earlier on. You could have got that guy in the lineup, even if you didn't want him out in the field. He could have been a better DH option with how he's been swinging the stick lately. So, but I don't want to get into it. So I'm going to hit on a couple you know, quote unquote negatives before I hop into the positives and we get off the Braves real quick. So just to top it off, I want to head back to the Ian Anderson situation. Um, Ian Anderson, he took the mound with an 8-0 lead in the second inning and didn't get the win. He allowed seven hits and four walks and 4.2 innings pitch. Nine of 17 balls he allowed in play had an exit velocity of 98 miles per hour or higher. Woo! That's horrendous. Yeah, it's Especially terrible. I know the Mets have some power. They really do. But this is a team that's notorious for weak dribblers and just getting the ball, putting the ball in play, whether it's weak contact or what. Um, so to give up 9 of 17 with an exit velo of 98 mile an hour, I mean, come on. Um, so, you know, I, I'm optimistic that he's going to get down. Yeah, you know, the, the they mentioned he's going to be the 27th man uh, and play in Saturday's doubleheader in Miami. He'll start one of the games and then likely head down to Gwinnett. And I think the plan is for him to just make a couple starts, hopefully right the ship and get back up. So, you know, you take that as you will. Hopefully, you know, we'll get some positives from that. 
Um, as far as the Braves moving forward, like I said, we've lost 10 of the last 12 series finales. Uh, that's pretty unfortunate considering, you know, the team that we have, the roster that we have. And, you know, those are not must-win games, but key games that we need to win and capitalize on. Um, as we stand, we're six and a half games back to the Mets. And uh, something that's not been talked about a lot that that is, is kind of, you know, creeping up on us are the Philadelphia Phillies. We haven't had to worry about them. They have been playing better as of late. Bryce is going to be coming back. They pick up Syndergaard. They've got some decent pitching. We're only three games up on them right now. So you don't want to look in the rearview mirror by any means, but it, it's something it's something worth talking about. Um, we've got seven head-to-head left with the Mets. We've got seven head-to-head left with the Phillies and 52 games left total this season. So is the division race over? No, not by any means. But a couple things I want to touch on as far as the division race goes – Speaking of, um, the Mets have a very, very tough August schedule ahead of them. Um, it's one of the toughest schedules in baseball. It is. And the Braves, uh, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's definitely easier than what the Mets have throughout the the you know the month of August. So it's 8-7 now. Our next game's Tuesday against Boston. Um, so, you know, look for us to hopefully make up some ground throughout the rest of this month. But headed into September, man, it gets a little hairy. Um, you know the Braves went on the crazy streak. We had what, like twenty nine straight games versus teams under five hundred. I think twenty something. Yeah, Jake, you may know, but I don't anyways. know the exact number. But yeah, it, it was so, it was it was a lot of games. It was something like that, and unfortunately, the Mets have a slate like that ahead of them in the month of September. So the Mets have one of the easiest Septembers in baseball, and the Braves have a much, much, much harder September. So we've really got to start playing better baseball. We really need to get these guys going throughout the rest of this month. That way we can head into September strong and with as much momentum as we can build. Um, it's really looking like all things are probably going to come down to the three-game series we have for the Mets at the end of the year. We have two series right there at the beginning of October into September, um, the first of which is the Mets in a three-game series. So if we can somehow scratch back, get our way back to within two and a half, two games, up to then, look for that to be a big turning point to where, you know, the entire country, especially Southeast, as far as the NL East is concerned, are going to sit down and watch that to really see how this thing unfolds. So, um, you know, we could talk bad about the Braves all day, like I said, with the with the dark, gloomy cloud ahead of us. But I want to hit on a couple positives before we dip out. Um, number one, Travis Darno. Like we just mentioned, you know, the injuries, are. it's looking like everything's going to be okay. As of right now, the plan is he is likely to return to the lineup during next week's series versus Miami. Um, we're traveling down to Miami to play the Marlins, so we're, we're looking to see him make his return then. Another thing with uh, Anderson going down to AAA, Kyle Muller has resurfaced to the con- to the conversation. Um, so I want to touch base on that. Um, Kyle Muller did pitch last night. Uh, since it was his first pitch since breaking his non-throwing hand. Gave up a couple of infield singles and a throwing error. Um, led to him allowing four runs in the first inning. So hmm. four runs in the first inning looks horrible. But, you know, a couple of infield singles and a throwing error kind of led to that. So I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that that's a horrible outing for him, even though it doesn't look that good. Um, so we could potentially see him come in uh, for the Saturday for for the for the doubleheader situation, you know, depending on the the deal with Anderson, but it seems like all signs point to Anderson starting one of those games. Um, Travis Darno again, you know, prior to the injury, he is seven for thirty with six extra base hits, three doubles, one triple, and two homers against Scherzer. 
Mm, yeah, yeah. He uh he had I believe at one point I think he had the only two hits against Scherzer and they were both doubles mm-hmm. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he he has he has uh Max. I'm not gonna say he has his number, but probably more so than most Braves on the team. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, couple positives before we head out. The last two I have on my list. Um, congratulations to Michael Harris. Michael Harris becomes the fifth Brave, t- age 21 or younger, with 10 home runs in his first 60 games. That a boy, Michael Money Mike. Uh, I've got the list in front of me, so I'll read through it. First, tied for first, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Eddie Matthews with 12. At second, tied for second, Jeff Rancourt and Bob Horner with 11. Um, and then right there at uh, Michael Harris, he's tied with Jason Hayward with 10. For reference, okay. Hank Aaron had nine in his first 60 games. Nice, nice. And uh, we're talking about money, Mike. I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, I, I would have loved to mention this being a good thing, but ever since Eddie Rosario and Michael Harris were out there trolling Mets fans in the outfield, we are uh, 0-3, so uh, it might not be yeah. a good thing. <laughs> and then the last positive for me, and a little interesting stat specifically for Braves fans, uh, Matt Olson is now tied with Freddie Freeman with the MLB lead in doubles with 36. Nice, nice, nice. You know, he's not on the same pace he was earlier in the year. You know, for a while, Matt Olson had a six or seven double lead on almost everybody in baseball, and he was on pace to break the Braves franchise record. But some of those doubles started to leave the park. So, you know, I, you trade, you trade, you trade doubles for home runs all day long. So, you know, we'll take yeah. that. Well, that's it for me. That's a couple positives to take away from the Braves before we move on. So, Jake, if you have anything else, uh, that'll be it for me for uh, for Braves talk. Yeah, that, that's it for me on Braves talk too. Uh, I know, I know we have some Matt Ryan stuff. Uh, Atlanta fans getting in on Matt Ryan and Andy. Uh, I know a lot of Atlanta fans, I want to say this, a lot of Atlanta fans disrespect Matt Ryan. They don't like Matt Ryan, but you have to realize how much this man did for our franchise. Really a bottom-of-the-barrel franchise historically. Um, and he made us relevant for some years. So all the love to Matt Ryan, and we will still cover him. If he is doing good in Indianapolis, we are rooting for him. We love Matt Ryan on this podcast. And uh, Kenny, I know you have the notes for us. I'll, I'll let you take over the Matt Ryan stuff. Yep. So let's hit on Matt Ryan. So um, a couple things I wanted to hit on statistically. Um, people are people, as Falcons fans specifically want to point the finger at Matt Ryan and say he's the reason for our our downfall, and that's just not the case whatsoever. Um, no. Let's look at the leaders in big time throws while under pressure last season, just last season alone on the putrid Atlanta Falcons. Um, number one in the league, Josh Allen with twenty. Matt Ryan number two with sixteen. It's good company. Let's also take a look at uh, where he stands historically in his career. He needs at least 3,500 passing yards this season to become the fifth player in NFL history to reach the mark of 13 consecutive seasons. He'll be joining Drew Brees with 14, Tom Brady, Paint Manning, and Phillip Rivers, all three with 13 as well. Okay, okay. Matty Ice. Um, and then I also want to read a little excerpt from an ESPN article. Uh, this is written by Stephen Holder at ESPN, released on August 2nd. Now this has been covered by a couple by a couple shows out there and a couple news news articles, so I just wanted to hit on this. Um, this is just the first impressions of Matt Ryan uh, with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, first impressions: they set a tone for how others will view you and create a baseline for what you should expect going forward. This brings us to new Indianapolis Colts quarterback Matt Ryan, who may have left a very particular first impression with some of his teammates that he's a jerk. Some <laughs> guys will tell you that I am, Ryan said, and I'm okay with that uncompromising and unapologetic. Ryan came here to do a job and to get it done. There's no room for timidity. The way Ryan sees it, if he makes friends in the process, great. And if not, that's fine too. Yet Ryan is being fully embraced by his new teammates, even though he's barely a week into his first training camp with the team. 
Just ask the players. Running back Naheem Hines, fantasy legend, says he sits up and listens when Matt Ryan speaks. I can't describe it. You just get chills, Hines said. He starts talking to us, and you just look at him and say, okay, this guy's about to lead us to a championship. Tight end Mo Cox added, on the field, it's just different. As soon as we break the huddle, he's like, everyone gets set. He says it every single play. It's weird to hear, but it's been a joy to have him here. Ryan's entire persona is a bit of a contradiction. He flashes that disarming Hollywood smile that has made him an ideal spokesperson for things like golf attire. Similarly, fans have gravitated to him because of his humility and down-to-earth nature. Ryan has set right. Excuse me. Ryan has been in town long enough for his duality to become clear. Since his trade to Indianapolis and march from the Atlanta Falcons, he has shown that he can be the guy who teammates who stops teammates in the hallway to quiz them on the details of the latest offensive installation. Um, Ryan has a simpler way of describing his approach. Honestly, he says, "I'm just being myself. You have to do it your way, otherwise, it's impossible to fake it every day, and it'll be impossible for for people to trust you." Um. So that's just a little bit from the article, but I wanted to say all that to, to get out there that, and kind of eliminate the narrative that Matt Ryan's not a leader and Matt Ryan's not a great quarterback. Obviously, statistically, the dude's up there with the best of them. Um, and just his personally and his work ethic and his play style, um, Indianapolis Colts, the organization is comparing him to Peyton Manning, and that's just a comparison that you don't hear from one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in a franchise where he is obviously a legend. So... Um, shout out Matt Ryan. We love you. Falcons fans love you. If you're a Falcons fan and you hate on Matt Ryan, unfortunately, you don't know ball. Take the jersey off. Burn it. Walk away. You know, why don't you go be a fan of some other team? Because Matt Ryan's a legend. He's the greatest Falcon of all time. Obviously, the greatest Falcons quarterback of all time. And, you know, he's on the fringe there of whether or not he's an NFL Hall of Famer. You can compare him to whoever you want to. But, you know, you look at Dan Marino. Dan Marino doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. I know Matt Ryan doesn't either, and that's his Achilles heel. So, I'm pulling for him, man. I'm pulling for him in Indy, and I'm pulling for the Colts. I think he can do something special. Oh, yeah. We love Matt Ryan on this podcast. And I wanted to give a little update on the live. Uh, I just had to delete a couple messages because we were getting uh, tired of being alone. We'll help you. Uh, so that's, that's I love what bots. I, <laughs> I love bots. That's that's what I've been dealing with. And, uh, yeah, going back on the Matt Ryan thing, man, Matt Ryan is so overly hated by Atlanta fans. And, you know, I and I – I'm an Atlanta fan that loves Matt Ryan, but I'm almost happy to see him get the chance to go over to Indy and, you know, be able to get a new fan base in that will actually appreciate him with what Indy's had to deal with. So ever since luck, they've been almost a black hole out there and their team is their team is up there. Like they have a really, really like prestige team. They have a great defense. They have a top two running back in the NFL. They have a solid young wide receiver that I think could step up and be possibly a top 10 guy in the league with Michael Pittman. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what Matty Ice can do over there in Indianapolis. And Frank Wright, a guy that, you know, he, he'll he let Matt Ryan come in. He'll let Matt Ryan handle handle the team how he wants to do it. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing Matty Ice over there in Indy. Absolutely, man. You know, obviously we're huge Matt Ryan fans, so best of luck to you. All right. So is 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 that on the is that it on the Matt Ryan talk? Are we Are we through Matt Ryan? Are we, excited, for me. are we excited for Marcus Mariota? Let me get it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Marcus bringing this the chip is, to Atlanta. This is what y'all been asking for, Falcons fans. That's all I'm going to say. This is what y'all been asking for. Um, so I know you had been. We had talked about something a little bit on the live before we got started on the podcast uh, spot. Uh, do you would you like to get into that, Kenny? Because that was that was your stuff. I'll, I'll let you handle your stuff. Well, I mean, huh. Talking Where do you about, want to start? Ta- Where do you want to start? 
So I, I was I was talking about more NFL stuff. I was talking about the the Eagles, what's going on with the Eagles right now, and then the training camp video that came out of a uh, former UGA legend. So <clears throat> I don't know if I could get more hints at what it is. I think you probably know by now. Exactly, exactly. So I don't know. You guys may be able to find the video on Twitter or wherever you want to, but obviously we're huge UGA fans. Jordan Davis, he is an absolute monster. Um, he... Uh, a video of him went viral earlier today of absolutely destroying the Eagles, the Eagles offensive line, who is one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Man is one-on-one dismantling the entire crew, throwing them around like rag dolls. So that's a dog for you. So throw him in the mix, and he's going to get some some absolute dominant production, especially when you face him against – I mean, you're one-on-one, best-on-best with one of the best offensive lines in the league, and dude's dominating. I can't wait to watch this dude play on Sundays. Oh, Jordan Davis. He's and you know how he is. He's he's a guy that's not gonna fill up the stat sheet. Like he's and, and he he's never gonna give you like three sacks. Last year at Georgia, I think he had a total of like two and a half sacks and like fifteen tackles. But like if you watch the game, you see the role he plays in the middle. Um, he's he's such a dynamic player. And at the NFL level, I don't even at the college level, people couldn't stop him. I don't see anybody stopping at the NFL level either. He's just he's such a dominant force and so athletic for his size that you know he's he's definitely a special talent. Absolutely. He's an absolute unit. All right, can you want me, you want me to bring us into our last uh last segment or do you want to, you want to take the take the ropes right here? I'll let you take the reins if you want to. I mean, look, let's dive into it, man. So what we wanted to do is um a couple things. So as far as the SEC goes, you guys know we're we're uh, based in the south, based in the state of Georgia, big UGA fans, big SEC ball fans. So you're going to get a lot of SEC talk from us. Um a thing that me and Jake have been talking about and wanted to hit on, uh, close, you know, closer edging into the season now with camp opening up and, and teams in there practicing, is some win totals. So the SEC as a whole is obviously the greatest conference in college football, strong conference. This is, this is real ball down here. This is the big boys. This is the big stage. you got Texas and Oklahoma joining us in the future. So everyone looks to the SEC for college football domination. Um, so win totals are kind of a big deal because you're looking at, one, you know, Definitely the most dominant conference and your intermingling teams that have to play each other. So uh, it's not flashy a lot of times when you look at the records and you see a six and six SEC team match up with a with a with a MAC team or an American conference team and dominate them in a bowl game. Yeah. So uh, so we wanted to get into some win totals because I think it can be pretty interesting whether you're whether you're a gambling man, a gambling woman, you want to get into some to some future bets and talk about this. So. Uh, today we've got the SEC West for you. We're going to run through and do a breakdown of every team's over, under, and wins. Uh, according to FanDuel Sportsbook, we have them. Uh, so you can follow along there if you want and uh, kind of do a quick breakdown of what we think. Now we did, I will preface this by saying we did an SEC West breakdown. What we thought the, stang- the standings were headed into the season, our preseason power rankings, if you will. So um, I'm curious to see how this affected them as we dove more into it and saw what we think we're going to see um at, from an over under wins perspective so uh i'm excited to dive into it jake so um i hear i'll let you why don't you let me or uh, i will let you kick it off um let's start with alabama okay i, I was i was hoping we would start with alabama because it's a it's a rather easy choice for me even even if i think that there's a chance that they could go under um i i went through the whole schedule i went through every game um and it's impossible to just write down an L next to any of those games that Alabama plays this year. Even with them playing at Texas this year, at Arkansas, at Tennessee, at LSU, at Ole Miss, it, 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 you can never go against Bama. So 
I have Bama over at the 10.5. I have them getting over 10.5 wins. Uh, and I have a final record thing. My final record I put is 12-0. and 0. I, I'm sure they might lose a game somewhere along the way, but I'm not going to be the one that tries to predict which game that's going to be. So <laughs> I have Bama over at 12-0. and 0. Um, Like I said, I mentioned the key matchups, even versus Texas A&M. You know, Alabama's just so dominant. No, I agree. Um, so Alabama, the over/under win total is set at ten and a half, according to FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, which is probably the most premier sportsbook you're going to see out there, and the most, uh, you know, I'll say compared. A lot of people compare their numbers to them, and they're, you know, the most prominent as far as that goes. Um, so ten and a half for Bama. Um, I'm going to take the over as well. Now, I'm not, I'm not somebody who sits here and says they're going to go twelve and zero. Um, are they? You know, they they absolutely could and probably most likely will if you look at the schedule. But it's hard to imagine perfection, especially from a team like Alabama, who last year loses a, a key game to A&M and lets a lot of teams stick in. Now, yeah. do I think they're going to be a better team? Yes, absolutely. Um, so let's look at a quick schedule breakdown for them. Week one, Utah State. Week two, Texas. Then they see Louisiana Monroe, Vandy, Arkansas, A&M, Tennessee, Mississippi State headed into the bye. LSU, Ole Miss, Austin P, Auburn, and that's that wraps it up for regular season play for them. Um, now for Alabama, I have a couple key games that I wanted to, to to write down for them. I've got Week Five as a super key game for them at Arkansas. Yes, yeah, tough. Nine as, for a super key game for them at LSU in Death Valley. That's um, why week week ten, Kenny. Week ten. I just wanted to. Is that Week ten? Yeah, okay. week week nine is their by ten. Uh, so it's their ninth game. Um. Yeah, absolutely. So week week ten. So week nine is a bye. So that's another factor headed into it. They do have a bye week to prepare, but it's hard to prepare for an environment like you like you're going to see in Death Valley. Um, you saw LSU go to to um, to Bryant Denny last year and play Alabama and, and give them an absolute run for their money with a little bit of a depleted team. I will say too. Yeah. So. Um, you look at those couple games there. I think those are probably the most key games for them. Um, now, if I'm projecting wins and losses in their schedule, I think their most likely loss is the Week 10 game at LSU in Death Valley. Um, so I will write down for my SEC West futures prediction for Alabama. I think they're going to go 11-1 and with the loss at LSU. Yeah, and that's one of those things like we were just talking about. People that are listening or watching, you have to realize the situation we're in. And like when you're looking at Alabama's schedule up and down and you're just thinking about who you'd pick to win the game, you're going to pick Alabama to win every game, but how college football works. So, you know, you can get beat by any team any given Saturday. And you you said uh, week 10 at LSU. I say week seven at Tennessee. That's my pick for their for their biggest chance to lose. And even a week five, like you mentioned, at Arkansas, that's a two, that's a super tough team. Arkansas came out last year and played really good ball. So but like like we're both talking about, you know, we're going to say it, it. It's hard to write down a loss on Alabama's schedule. No, it's very hard, and and you've got a good point there with Tennessee as well. That's another game that could probably sneak up on you and a team that can score a lot of points. So, no, it's hard to write down a single loss, and it's hard to pinpoint one. You know, it's easy to say it's hard to win a to win twelve games and go perfect. That's a very easy thing to say because it's true. But oh, yeah. when you're talking when you're talking from a not just a betting perspective, but from a future picks perspective in general, whether there's money on it or not, to pinpoint a loss is a tough thing. So I think, in my opinion, the most likely is at LSU in Death Valley, and that's what I've got here. Yeah, and saying saying they'll go twelve and zero is easy, but also saying they'll go they'll go eleven and one is easy. It's just with what we're trying to do and how we have the schedules in front of us, we're trying to pinpoint certain games. So 
you know, when like you said, when you pinpoint a game, it's hard. I mean, they could lose to they could lose to damn Auburn week thirteen for all we know. You know, it's it's college football. Things are crazy, and uh, I, th- I think we got a pretty good thing on Alabama, and I might have a little bit of money to put on that over. Hey, look, I'm with you, dog. I think I think it's worth it's worth a look. Um, so let's go alphabetically. Let's head into Arkansas. Oh, you um, mean take Arkansas, or you want you want to start it off? I start off the last one. You go you go for it, Kenny. You got it. I'll kick it off. I think the so I want to start the Arkansas conversation by throwing out there that Arkansas has to run an absolute gauntlet. Yeah, Arkansas Arkansas, does have a very tough schedule. Arkansas schedule is hell. When you talk about the SEC West, which is the premier side of the SEC, aside from the Georgias, um, the the SEC West is absolutely stacked with great players, great recruits, great coaching, great teams, great environments, atmospheres, whatever you want to call it. So not only do they have to match up with all six, but they've also got, man, I mean, they've got to go through the ringer in out-of-conference out of games. You see a lot of cupcake games from a lot of teams, and you'll see a lot of those when we do these schedule breakdowns, like I just mentioned with Alabama. They got Austin P and, and Utah State. But when you look at a team like Arkansas and the schedule that they've got to run through, let me break this down for you real quick. Week one, they see at home the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yep. I know Cincinnati lost a lot. They had to reload a lot, and I've got some notes that I'll dive in with them. But that is a tough, tough game. Yeah, Cincinnati's tough, man. And even though they're losing a lot of talent, Cincinnati's still going to be a good ball team. Absolutely. So you got week one against Cincinnati, week two against South Carolina, SEC East team that's projected to have a very good season. Um, Then you got a cupcake game against Missouri State. That's a home game as well. They start off the year with three straight home games. That could come into play for them as a benefit. Then you travel to Texas A&M, take on the Aggies in Kyle Field, the toughest environment. That one actually, uh, that one is in AT&T Stadium, so it's actually a neutral stadium. Oh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That is absolutely, well, either way, AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, that's a home game. Yeah, it's a home game for A&M. That's what I I wrote that down on my notes. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point there. You're absolutely right. AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Um, Then you dive into week five, I believe. Um, Yep. At home against Bama. Away at Mississippi State, away in Utah against BYU, another sleeper there. Then they have the bye week. Then they travel to Jordan Hare to take on the Auburn Tigers. Then they see Liberty at home, LSU at home, Ole Miss at home, and then close the season out in Missouri um, to play the Tigers in Columbia. That's a tough schedule, man. SEC East teams, SEC West teams as a whole, and then they're out of conf- they're they're out of um, you know normal teams that you see BYU. And Cincinnati, dude, they've got to run an absolute gauntlet. Yeah, it's it's a it's a super tough schedule, and like you mentioned, to face to face Cincinnati, South Carolina, Texas A and M, Alabama, Mississippi State, and BYU all in the first seven weeks. Like, good God, they they did not help out Arkansas at all this year. Not at all, man. So a quick breakdown for me, and then Jake, I'll let you dive into your win totals and what you think from them. I'm gonna okay. go my. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six key games for them throughout the season. I've got week one versus Cincinnati as a key game. Week two against South Carolina as a key game. Week six at Mississippi State. Week seven at BYU in Utah. Week 10 against LSU at home. And week 11 against Ole Miss at home. I think those are probably the most key games for this team when you're calculating that that projection for their over-under and win totals. Mm-hmm. Um now, when I say key games, guys, what I mean by that is I'm talking games where I don't think 
I can exactly pinpoint without doing a little bit of research and a little bit of uh, projecting who's going to win or lose that game. So if you're not on my list for a key game, I either think Arkansas is 100% going to lose that game or 100% going to win that game. So I want to kick this off by saying week one against Cincinnati as the number one key game for this team. Um, A little breakdown on Cincinnati. They lost some studs, but they're bringing back two capable quarterbacks in both Ben Bryant and Evan Prater. Those are both dudes that can really step in and give you some good production. They return all five offensive line starters. Their offensive line was a huge strong point for them last year. You saw them make the playoff, had the crazy good record. Um, Their offensive line is is full of some dogs who are probably going to get some really, really, really good looks in the NFL at the pro level, and they're bringing back all five of them. Now, defensively, they're only returning four starters. Their defense was absolutely elite, led, led by Luke Fickle, who's an absolute dog, Ohio State legend. Um, now, even though they're only returning four starters, the starters they're returning are really, really good players. And they've got a lot of great recruits to replace. I mean, some transfers coming in. So week one against Cincinnati, I've got them taking the L, man. I think Cincy's going to come out with the win in that game. Week two against South Carolina, I've also got them losing that game there too. I think they're going to have a little bit of a letdown coming off the Cincinnati game. That may demoralize them a little bit. They've got to go Saturday to Saturday um, against South Carolina, who I think is going to start off the year buzzing. They've got Spencer Rattler, who you know we dove into him. You know, People have mixed opinions on him, including myself. But South Carolina's got a good team. They're very well coached. Uh, I've got them taking the L there too. Um, week six at Mississippi State, I've got them taking the win there. Week 7 at BYU, I've got them taking the win there in a close one, in a dogfight. And Week 10 against LSU, I've got them taking the L there too. You'll see as this list unfolds. I'm a little bit higher on LSU than I was, you know, as far as the power rankings go after doing a a depth chart breakdown and a roster breakdown headed into the season. So I've got them losing that game. And then Week 11 versus Ole Miss, I've got them winning that one. So I've got their over-under for Arkansas this year is set at 7. Exactly. And after my schedule breakdown, I've got Arkansas winning exactly seven games. All right. So you make your money. I mean, I mean, you get your money back, right? So look at the yeah, positive. So shout out to Vegas. So is it is it cool if I go ahead and get my my Arkansas stuff in? Yeah, dude. So even though they have such a gauntlet schedule, uh, you know, and I, I was about to say we're kind of far off, but we're not really too far off. Uh. And you said Cincinnati, South Carolina, and LSU, right? Yep. So, oh yeah, never mind, never mind. You're yeah, you're right. So you have them getting uh, seven wins. I have Arkansas. Uh, so I look at week one, Cincinnati. I have them getting the dub because it's at home. I I look at the at home away stuff a lot in college football. Whenever it's a close matchup for me, um, you know, Cincinnati. We're talking about the starters they lost. To me, the biggest thing they lost was Ahmad Gardner and Kobe Bryant. Is it Kobe Bryant? Right? Am I right on that? I think so. Is it K-O-B-I? Yeah, uh, I think it's uh, C-O-B-Y. C-O-B-Y Bryant. Yeah. Yeah. The the other spelling. Yeah, I think they were both what drafted in the... And you know Ahmad Gardner was drafted top in the NFL draft. And I think Kobe Bryant was in the first two rounds somewhere. He was one of the top corners taken to... So I think that's going to be a really, really big hit for that Cincinnati secondary because those are two guys in college ball that could lock down almost anybody that you put against them. Um, South Carolina, I also have Arkansas taking the win. I'm high on South Carolina, but my one fear about South Carolina is going to take them a couple games to get rolling. And to face a team like Arkansas week two, whenever you have a new coach, well, not a new coach, but you know a, a, a younger, relatively new coach and a fresh quarterback in there that's new to the system, 
a team like Arkansas is not somebody you want to see really, really early on. You know, Arkansas is a legit team. Obviously, week three, Missouri State, I think everybody can mark that down as a big win. They're going to be favored by 35, 40 points. So let's, let's go ahead and bet that, bet that, bet that money line, add it into a little parlay, get a little juice on it. Uh, AM, week four, neutral site game at ATT Stadium, a home game for AM practically. Uh, AM is going to win that, going to win that football game. There's no doubt in my mind, Texas AM is going to win the football game. Then you go week five, Alabama. That's back to back tough games. And I have, uh, obviously, Alabama winning against Arkansas. Again, we mentioned it earlier whenever we were discussing Alabama. That's one of those games that, you know, Arkansas could surprise. But whenever you're breaking it down on the schedule like this, you're going to write down the L next to Arkansas on that. Um, week six, and this might surprise a lot of people, I have Mississippi State winning that game. So I have Arkansas winning, losing three in a row. So Arkansas lose to AM, they lose to Alabama, and they lose to Mississippi State at Mississippi State week six. Um, I know Arkansas runs on a pretty decent defense, but I like like we talked about in the SEC West breakdowns, I'm I'm higher on Mississippi State than most people just because I feel like that offense can play some people out of the building. And I feel like this might be one of those situations. It's it's gonna be a shootout. Like KJ Jefferson's gonna put up crazy numbers in that game. And I'm sure uh Mississippi State quarterback, uh I can't think of his name right now. That's that's my fault. Will Rogers. Yep, yep. Will Rogers, Will Rogers, obviously he puts up crazy numbers every game because he throws the ball. 50 times. Uh, so that, that one's going to be a really, really fun one to watch week six. And I'm sure that betting line is going to be super close. Like, I, I don't see that betting line being more than four points. I'm assuming Arkansas is going to be favorited, depending on how the season's going. But uh, I think that betting line is going to be close. At BYU, I know me and you, Kenny, last year, we watched a good bit of BYU football. And we were impressed, but also not impressed. BYU snuck their way into the top 25 a little bit last year. I want to say that they made it up to like 24 or 23 at some points in the year. And uh, they had bright spots, but they also had a lot of down down spots. So I have I have Arkansas winning that game. They go into a bye week eight right before they go into Auburn. And uh, I have them beating Auburn. I have them beating Liberty. I have them beating LSU. And I have them beating Ole Miss. And I have them beating Missouri. So I have Arkansas losing three games in a row right in the middle of their schedule. But at the end of it, I have Arkansas going nine and three. And uh, with an over-under of seven, I, I'm going with the over. Yeah, I respect that. I had Arkansas as a seven-win team, borderline eight-win team, and went with seven uh, as just a gut feeling. Um, one thing I'll say about Arkansas before we close them out is they do they do try out a pretty good defense out there. They lost a lot of run stoppers, um, so mm -hmm. I'm a little bit concerned about their ability to stop the run. So against teams that like to run the ball, these physical SEC teams, I'm a little bit hesitant to uh, throw them out there as a top tier uh, as far as the wins go. That's why I landed at seven. So and nine, I don't think is bad at all, and I absolutely respect that. And we discussed it. We discussed it on our uh, on our like conference breakdown thing on our SEC West breakdown. Uh, this is a conference that you have three teams, four teams that could legitimately legitimately compete for that second spot in the SEC West. So a lot of these games we're seeing, like the uh, I want to say like the Mississippi States. Obviously, I want to say that because I'm high on Mississippi State, but like obviously the old misses. Um, even the LSUs, like those teams are easily teams that can come out with Arkansas and compete. And I'm assuming they will. I just have them as uh wins on this schedule. But you know, it that that type of stuff can change a nine and three team to a, a seven and a seven and five team or a six and six team really, really quick. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that I think that I think I covered Arkansas pretty well. So uh what's what's the next team? I'll get us kicked off on the next one. Let's head into Auburn. It's going to Auburn. Okay, Auburn. Auburn. Uh, I, I believe they have the lowest uh over under in the West with a five and a half win over under. 
Uh, we look at their schedule. They start off with pretty easy the first two games. They got Mercer at home. They have San Jose State at home. So I have both of those as wins. And then they bring in Penn State at home. And I, I have that as Auburn's first loss in the season. I, I think Auburn, with, with the team they're running out this year, I think Penn State's going to come in. Penn State always plays tough football uh, coming out of the Big Ten. You know, Penn State, they're always, they always run out a really good team. And Auburn, I just don't see them being a legit like super team this year. Uh, week four, they have Missouri at home. I have them winning that game. And then week five, they have LSU at home. I have a loss right there. Then you face Georgia and Ole Miss back-to-back weeks, week six and seven on the road. I have both of those as losses. Then you go into the bye. You face Arkansas. You face Arkansas at home. I have them losing that game. Um, you go to Mississippi State. I have them losing that game. Uh, Texas A&M at home losing that game. Western Kentucky, a nice little bright spot on the schedule. I'll, get, I'll give them a little win right there. Put a little dub by put a little dub by Arkansas in that one. And then you have at Alabama to, to round it out week thirteen. Uh. And I have them losing that game, obviously. So my final record for out for Auburn is four and eight. <laughs> so with a, a, over under five and a half, I have them going under that. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. In my opinion, Auburn is the second worst team in the SEC, just above Vandy. Yeah, um, I, I can agree with that for sure. So you, you hit on the cupcake games like you know an absolute banger against Mercer and Jordan Hare, hometown team Mercer, going to go in there and fight for the state of Georgia to represent. Uh, oh yeah, but they're if, gonna come if, up short. If we get a, if we get a betting line at like thirty five and a half, I might sprinkle a little bit of money on Mercer. I'm just gonna say that. Yeah, absolutely. You got to represent, right? <laughs> we got, we got ever, to. I mean, you're talking about Auburn here. We do not like Auburn football. We never have. We never will. So, um, no. I, and I, I don't think Auburn's a good football team. I don't have any bright spots for them. I like Tank Bigsby. I do, I, I do like um, Tank Bigsby, but I don't know if he'll be enough. No, I don't think he'll be enough. Um, so the over-under, like you said, is set at uh, five and a half. I'm hammering the under here, man. I've got them at four wins. I um, do too. Nice. Look at us. That's what I'm talking for, about. For me, as far as the key games, though, I've got week three against Penn State. I've got them taking the L there. I've got week four against Mizzou. I've got them taking the L there. And I've got week nine, or week ten, I should say, at Mississippi State after the bye. I've got them taking the L there. So um, with that being said, I'm expecting a win versus Mercer, a win versus San Jose State, a win versus Western Kentucky. And then I'm looking at the schedule of LSU, Ole Miss, Arkansas. And I think in one of those three games, I'm going to give Auburn the benefit of the doubt and say they're going to come away with one win. So um, I'm just playing devil's advocate and saying that I think in SEC play, you can see something like that where a team will slide up and get a win in there. So I'll give Auburn the benefit of the doubt as far as that goes. And I'll round them out with four. I've got them at four wins, so I'm hammering absolutely with the biggest sledgehammer I could possibly find in my garage that under a five and a half. I, I, I will say this right here in the podcast, and if we can clip this. We'll post it on TikTok. We'll post it YouTube uh, shorts, all that fun stuff. Auburn is not going six and six. So this right here to me, and it's funny because it's the lowest over under total. This might this right here might be one of the safest bets to me in the SEC West is the under on Auburn. That that's just my personal opinion. And like you said, I am going to be hitting a nice bet on that. A hundred, one hundred, one hundred million thousand is big of a number as you can think percent. Um I'll drop multiple units on Auburn at the under five and a half. That is it. Auburn Auburn is in for a sad year, and I know we have plenty of Auburn fans. Auburn fans love to listen in on Georgia stuff. Sometimes you got to know how it feels to win. 
And sadly, uh, I don't think y'all be doing too much of that this year. So just come on, listen to our podcast. We'll talk about the dogs. We'll talk a little bit about family, even though we're not fans. And you'll hear about a little bit of winning. But I don't know if we'll be talking about you down there with that that ugly orange and blue you got wearing. So, yeah, you might want to become a fan of a different team this year. No thanks. No thanks at all. Yeah, that's it for me, man. Auburn, it's a sad, it's a sad year to be a to be a War Eagle fan, to be a Tiger fan, whatever it is you guys call yourself. <laughs> that is true. So I, I, I led that one off, Kenny. Uh, Again, I'm going with the role of you picking it because this is your segment. So uh, go ahead. Go ahead and pick your next team and start us off with it. All right. I want to ride in LSU. I've got a little bit more on LSU than uh, than I do on the other teams. Oh, this uh, is going to be fun. That's all. I want to start with say this is going to be a lot of fun between me and you because I think we're going to have some differences right here. This is going to be very interesting, and I agree we're going to have some differences here. Um, now, LSU is a team I was not super high on. I believe I had them fifth in the West in my uh, preseason power ranking. You did. You fourth did. Or, I checked it. Fourth or fifth, depending on how you look at it. I think I had them right there neck and neck um, with a couple other teams. So um, after looking at it, man, I think LSU is going to be tied with the third best record in the West at the end of the season. Um, and the reason for that is I did a little roster breakdown and I saw some of the coaching hires they brought in, obviously Brian Kelly, but I'm looking a little bit more under the rug at some other guys they brought in, um, not only coaching, but transfers. You got guys coming back from injuries some players, some key players that I'll, you know, get into as well. So a quick breakdown for LSU that I want to hit. Um, obviously number one, insert Brian Kelly, um, you know, family, football, food, whatever you want to say about this guy, obviously. <laughs> He puts on the worst Cajun country accent in the entire world and uh, comes down there to LSU and, and is trying to uh, get his name in there with the big dogs, the, the Kirby Smarts, the Nick Sabans, the hey, uh, Kenny, of the world. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt your thing, but I, I was just pulling up a little bit of notes, and uh, th- this is completely on me, but I wanted to mention on the Auburn aspect of things. Uh, uh, TJ Finley was arrested fleeing police on a moped three days ago. So uh, we we can throw that back on Auburn fans too. I was looking up LSU stuff while you were talking, and uh, they called out former former LSU quarterback TJ Finley saying he was arrested trying to trying to get away on a moped. So you know that that's just another thing on Auburn. Uh, go go back. You you got it now. The floor is yours. That that's on me. Yeah, just go get me my shovel. Call me Stanley Yildats. I'm going to start burying Auburn. I'm going to dig a big old hole, and that's just another scoop of the dirt before I throw Auburn in there and cover him on top and say they are dead. So, um, rounding that out, man, that's terrible. <laughs> um, LSU, Brian Kelly, obviously, things we just mentioned. Now, they have a pretty interesting quarterback battle, uh, something that I'm pretty interested to see how this is going to unfold. So you talk about sixth-year senior, 37-year-old Miles Brennan, who looked like an absolute stud in 2020 before he got hurt. But due to injuries, he hasn't played since early 2020. So I'm not sure uh, what to take from him. Obviously, he had limited playing experience up until then because of Joe Burrow. Um, So, you know, Miles Brennan, I think he's a talented guy. I think he's a good quarterback. I think uh, that's an interesting name when you mention the quarterback battle. And the guy he's battling against, Arizona State transfer Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is a guy I want to compare to Spencer Rattler from the standpoint of this dude's got all the arm talent in the world. The athletic ability is there. The tangibles are there. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He can do anything you want to. Without pads and seven on seven, he's gonna look great in a combine running a forty. He's gonna he's gonna look like an absolute genetic freak, athletic freak. Um, but he's a guy that hasn't really been able to put it together. 
now I don't want to put that completely on him because we all know the dumpster fire that that ASU is. So I'm not sure what kind of you know effect that had on him from a production standpoint because that team was absolute. I mean, they were just horrendous. Uh, they yeah. didn't look good in conference. They didn't look good out of conference. We watched them play a couple games, threw a couple bets on them. They were always a good team to put an over on because they'd lose sixty to forty-five. So, um, but Jaden Daniels is a stud. He's a guy that's got the talent. So he obviously didn't go to LSU not to play. So he's going to give it his all. He's going to get in there and compete with Miles Brennan for that starting job. I don't think they've announced a starter. I'm expecting it to be Miles Brennan just because of the rapport that he has with the program or with the team. But uh, I think Jaden Daniels is just as interesting of a guy to throw in there as any. Um, so that, that kind of closes me out on the quarterback standpoint. Now, I do want to say this. Whoever wins that battle is going to have one of the best wide receivers in the SEC in Kayshawn Boutte, uh, the Cajun boy. We love, we, we, we love Boutte on this podcast. Yeah, big Boutte show. Um, so, you know, Kayshawn is an absolute freak, man. He, he's battling a little bit of an injury right now, but they said he's good to go. He'll be ready week one. He said he's 100%, so whether or not that's true, I think, he'll be, I think he's going to be an amazing player, and he obviously is uh, an, an athletic freak. Um, they've got a pretty solid offensive line. Uh, they're above average. They're bringing back a lot of guys. I think they're bringing back three starters. They've they've obviously they're they're in the South in the SEC. They get the recruits. They get the big boys, corn fed boys coming out. In their case, I guess crawfish fed. Um, now they've got an above average pass rush as well. They've got a really 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 good linebacking core. Uh, here's another under the rug thing I wanted to mention because of the coaching changes. They bring in Kansas City Chiefs linebacking coach Matt House as the defensive coordinator. Um, now, I think he's not only going to have an effect on the defense as a whole, but you insert an already good linebacking core and bring in an NFL caliber, NFL, you know, an actual NFL coach, Super Bowl winning linebacking coach, position coach in the league, and bring him in to that linebacking core and that defense as a whole. He's going to get the boys ready. They do have an absolutely depleted secondary. So I'm a little bit concerned as, as far as that goes. They lost a lot of guys to the draft over the course of the past few years. So they've got a lot of rebuilding to do in that aspect. But you want to talk about the pass rushes there. They're going to get after the quarterback. They're going to be able to stop the run with the linebackers. They've got some athletic players. And they're SEC. So, you know, you, you don't know as far as the recruits go. They could be bringing in the next the – next, um, you know, Honey Badger. You, know, you never know as far as LSU goes. They say they're DBU, so they're going to have to prove it this year. Um, week one is a very, very interesting game to me because as an SEC fan, I despise the ACC, and I think they should all go to hell. Um, now, Florida Three. State in week one is a very interesting one to me. They're playing at the Superdome in New Orleans. So it, it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. Everyone's going to be buzzing. The fans are going to show up in droves. I'm very interested to see how that you know turns out. Um, early line, you can get LSU at minus two and a half. So the game already is a little bit closer than I would have thought coming off of the season Florida State had last year where they looked like absolute dog water. Yeah. Now, I did a little bit of research, Jake, and I, I want to kind of get your opinion on this from an FSU standpoint. This team is a little bit, I don't want to say scary, concerning is the word I'll say. I'd hate to face them. Um, they have an absolute dominant running game. They had one last year. They're going to have one this year. Uh, they got Treshawn Ward. He averaged over six yards a carry last year, and they've got transfer Trey Benson from Oregon. He's a four-star who didn't see very much playing time in Oregon. Uh, he's a four-star recruit from the 2020 class. 
They've got a revamped offensive line. The offensive line is the biggest weak point of this team. They were horrible last year. Quarterback was running all over the place. I mean, it was it was terrible, man. I mean, they couldn't protect him for anything. He had two seconds to get the ball out and just couldn't. But you bring in a transfer, um, bless something, man. His first name is Bless, but he's a stud transfer. He's a JUCO guy. He's a highly touted recruit. Um, they bring him in to play left tackle for them. Now, they're bringing back every other offensive line starter other than him. Um, now, the offensive line wasn't good, so I say bring back starters and revamped offensive line, and you're like, Kenny, what are you talking about? You just said the offensive line was terrible. Well, yes, but you get guys a little bit more time in the system, let them get more comfortable with the coaching, a little bit more comfortable with the team, let them develop, get in the weight room. You can see these boys turn into quality players. Now, I don't know if they're going to do it, but I think it's safe to say their offensive line is going to be better than it was the year before. Having that, having said that, um, you have a passing attack that was very lackluster. Now, I don't want to write it off and say that the quarterback is bad because I, I'm a big fan of that quarterback they've got down there. Um, Jordan Travis, I think he's a stud. I think he's a freak. And I want to say that that offensive line affected him a little bit more than you would like to see from a quarterback standpoint. Now, Jordan Travis, he played 10 games last year, totaling just over 1,500 yards through the air, but was wildly efficient. I mean, this dude was slinging the pill and doing a good job of it. You give him some time back there, I think he can deliver. He had a 63% completion percentage, 15 touchdowns, 6 picks, and a 148 rating. Nuts. All right, those are, those are big-time numbers. So that's very efficient, especially considering the offensive line that he did not have and hopefully will have this year. He's also an incredible runner, racking up 530 yards on the ground and seven scores last year. You can attest some of that to getting out of the pocket and running. But needless to say, with the running game that they have, the transfers that they're bringing in, the, the stud running backs that they already had, if you give them a little bit of offensive line help, let them get the ball through the air, um, they're, they're going to be fine. Now, one thing that I did want to hit on, they're bringing back almost all of their offensive weapons from a receiving standpoint. Tight ends, receivers, everyone's coming back. Defensively, they have a really, really, really good pass rush. They get after the quarterback, but they have a bad, bad, bad secondary. They've got a lot of young guys back there, very inexperienced. They've got to get some development out of them. So, from, from, from LSU, we're getting back to the SEC. I'm done talking about the ACC. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Wait, can I, can I get, whenever you're ready for me to give some Florida State input, just let me know because I'm I'm also prepped for that. I know hop you said there. you wanted to get hop in there. Um, hop so in there. I know we're talking about Florida State. They play LSU Week One, obviously. We can't forget last year. Uh, last year they opened up the season facing number eight Notre Dame, and they took Notre Dame to overtime. I mean, they ended up losing the game forty-one to thirty-eight, but I mean. They start off the season hot, and everybody looks last year at Florida State because they lost to Jacksonville State. But, I mean, you look at a lot of their games, man, last year. I mean, they held their own against the Clemsons. They beat Miami in the regular season. They lost by three to Florida. I mean, they they held their own for a little bit against NC State. So, Florida State, like, rec record-wise, I, I want to say, other than a pretty bad blowout to Wake, Wake Forest, the biggest loss they had last year was 14 points to NC State. So, I mean, Florida State is a team that can hold, like, hold close to you know, some legit teams in college football. So I definitely agree with you on that aspect of talking about Florida State. No, and, and that's kind of the thing is, is you don't really know what you're going to see from them. They're bringing back 100% a better team than they had last year. They've got the pieces to make it work. Now, whether they do, that's on them. So you're looking at a two-and-a-half-point favor for LSU in this game. I do have LSU taking the win. I think it might be closer than a lot of people say, but I have that as a key game for the fact of you know, no one really knows what to expect from that Seminole team. Um, 
I would hit I, gonna, I would I would hit the two and a half. Me personally, I would, I would I would hit if, LSU two and a half. If I'm gonna say anything about this game from a betting perspective, I think it's very safe to say take the over. What's what's the over under? You have the over under on you? No clue, but if it's a million, I'd still take it. Think so? I Dude, I, 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 mean, might, I, I might have a little disagreement on that just because seeing LSU's defense last year. Uh, I know what was what was the final score to the Alabama LSU game last year? Hold up. Hold up. up. We we got to hit a little pause in the podcast. We're get we're getting pretty intense. I want to say it was the over. It was less than forty points total. It was it was twenty to fourteen. Damn. It it, it was it was twenty it was to twenty fourteen. Yeah, okay. twenty to fourteen. So I I know I know it sounds nice because Florida State. You know, if you look at Florida State's games, their defense gives up points. Like they they didn't have very many games where their opponent scored less than thirty. But that LSU defense is it, it, like like you mentioned earlier. I know when you were talking about LSU, you're you know they're. Their defense is, is is something nice, man. That's definitely the bright spot on that team. So, you know, that's it, another. I think more so for me, taking the over is from an FSU perspective. They've got a horrible defensive backfield. I mean, their corners are trash. Their safeties are trash. They got a good pass rush, but LSU's got a solid offensive line. I think LSU might throw the ball all over the yard. It's it's going to be one of those tough games because obviously, like week one, everybody's kind of nervous to put their money where their mouth is because it's the first game of college football, and honestly. We talk about LSU. We talk about Florida State. LSU could beat Florida State by 30. Florida State could beat LSU by 30. We we don't know. <laughs> it's a new season. College football changes so much year to year. I mean, you look at Florida. You look at Florida with Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask, a uh, guy that's playing with the New York Giants right now, and look at him now. So, I, you know, we're talking about the West right now. I had to throw a little bit of Florida hate in there. And uh, I think Florida fans will be a little Boy. bit happy, a little bit happy when, when, they, when they see some of the stuff I'm going to talk about after you get done. So, um, I have, for LSU, moving past week one against FSU, I've got their key games at week six against Tennessee. Okay. I've got uh, week eight against Ole Miss. I've got week 11 at Arkansas and week 13 at A&M in Kyle Field. Um, Now, as far as those games go, week six six versus Tennessee, I've got them taking the L there. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to attribute that to um, LSU's lackluster defensive backfield and Tennessee, Tennessee uh, you know, the, the way they run their offense and the heavy passing attack that they have in Hendon Hooker, who I think is a stud. Um, I think Tennessee will come away with a win there in a high-scoring game. Um, week 8 against Ole Miss, I've got them taking the win there. I think those, they'll. I think it's going to be a, a, a dogfight. I think it's going to be they're scratching and clawing. But I think you bring Ole Miss into Death Valley, um, I think they give them a good run, and I think they'll come out with the win. Um, now at Arkansas, I do have them taking the loss there. I think Arkansas has got the pieces to, to put against them. Uh, KJ Jefferson, regardless of how you feel about him, he's pretty efficient. He throws for completions, um, and he can run and he's built like Makai Becton, the left tackle for the New York Jets. And I want to say, I do, I do want to say that, uh, I believe last year for some, I don't know if it was the whole year, but for some part of the season to start the year, he was the best deep ball thrower in college football. So the dude, the dude can the dude can throw the deep ball pretty good too. And whenever you have a depleted, uh, you know, secondary on defense, that 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 could be deadly for you. Yep. And the reason I've got Week 13 at A and M on here, I do think A and M wins that game. I think they'll win it pretty comfortably. But as a guy who has a lot of A and M fans in his family, I've been watching them play ball for a long time. And since they've been in the SEC, LSU seems to be the one team that gives them trouble. It's always a good team, a good game between the two. Um, so I'll give them the edge at home in Kyle Field, craziest environment in college football to play in. I think they'll get the win there. So for LSU, um, those are my key games. That's kind of how I think it's going to shake out. 
uh, before I hit my win total, Jake, I want to hear what you have to say. So, uh, going back to the LSU uh, A&M game, would, would you like to tell the story about our, our experience with the A&M LSU game just to give these guys a little bit more of like a personal preference on us? I, I'll, I'll let you take care of it because it's actually a yeah. very, very funny story. It is very funny. If you guys didn't know, um, listening to the podcast, Jake is my brother-in-law. I am married to his to his sister, his older sister. She Father is, of my nephew. Uh, father, uh, yeah, we just welcomed our first child into the world. Um so I'm enjoying every bit of that. But we've been together for uh, right at about five years now, married for two. Um, and when A&M played LSU, oh, gosh, what year was it, Jake? Was it 18? Um, it, was, it was 18 because it was the year before LSU won on that run and LSU won the Natty in 19. That's right. And I should know that for what I'm about to mention, what year it was. Um, it was the year the A&M played LSU in the longest college football game in NCAA history. Seven overtimes it went to. A&M came away with the W. Um, it was freezing cold outside, about 30 degrees in Georgia, late in the year. You're seeing them play right here this year, November 26th. It's probably you know about that late October uh, time frame. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, but it was freezing cold. I'm sitting outside on the back porch, and I'm hanging out, watching the game on TV with Jake and my wife, Caitlin's father. And this is the night where I've already bought the ring. I'm getting ready to propose. And the last thing before I check off all my boxes is I want to ask for her father's permission to propose. And I am an absolute nervous wreck. And I'm sitting there and I'm shaking because I'm freezing and I'm shaking because I'm nervous and I'm shaking because I'm watching an amazing football game. And I ask her father for his permission. Obviously, he gives it to me. Um, and, and I later proposed that year. So this is a little bit of a, of a history for us. Uh, this LSU-A&M rivalry goes back deep, and it's always a good game. And uh, on a personal level, we're always invested in this year yes. after year, S- stemming from that seven-overtime game in the freezing cold out on the back porch the night I asked for the permission to marry my, my beautiful wife. Yeah, that night, that night was filled with, uh, filled with, with uh, asking permission uh, big Carhartt jackets and ice cold beer because I believe we were up till about one o'clock in the morning watching that football game, and with like a seven o'clock start time. It was it was awesome. It was it was honestly probably the most enjoyable football game I have ever watched in my life, and that's including like the George Oklahoma like that that game right there was so memorable for multiple reasons, obviously family reasons and football reasons. But I mean, it, it was it was awesome and to get to say you got to watch that live was absolutely like amazing. Yeah, you're talking about a day full of watching football, drinking beers, ice cold beers, sitting out on the back porch, watching an incredible game, getting a little bit more liquid courage in my system to ask her father for permission, followed by the celebration of ice cold beers to end the night and to watch an amazing football game that lasted seven overtimes. It's pretty safe to say we got a little tuned up that night, but it was a memorable night to say the less. Yeah, preferably uh, Miller Lite. That, that, that was the preference. Uh, we'll, we'll mention Miller Lite every single podcast. Uh not a sponsor, yeah. not a sponsor, obviously. Um, but, but uh, yeah, we'll, men- we'll mention Miller Lite every chance we get. Yeah, because if they if they start sending us free cases during college football season, they might go in debt because we're gonna run through them rather quickly. Okay, so LSU, you want me to get you want me to get into mine first before we start? You know, before you get in yours. Yep, and over under on win totals, by the way, for LSU is six and a half. Okay, so six and a half. Uh, it's actually funny because I think you mentioned your key games, and I think we were rather similar. So your key games you had, you had Tennessee, right, at week six. I had, I had them taking the L week six. Um, you, you also mentioned week 
eight against uh at home against Ole Miss, and you had them taking the dub, which I thought was pretty pretty bold. But I also have them taking the win against Ole Miss at home because in like, Death you, like Valley. we always mention Death Valley. Death Valley is one of the hardest places to play in college football. So I also have them taking the dub. Week eleven at Arkansas, I also have them taking the L, and week thirteen at Texas A&M, I also have them taking the L. Now we go back to Florida State. Florida State, we talk about it. Um, I am I like Florida State, but I still have LSU winning that winning that game week one. I mean, it's at home, so you look at that. We always talk about Death Valley. We talk about these ACC schools. This is a totally different environment. This is a different environment than you you will get. I mean, the closest thing you'll get to this defense and what we're going to be playing like is going to be a team like Clemson. And I don't mean to put LSU and Clemson in the same category, but like it's 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 seriously at that point when you look at some of these teams you play against. Um, I identical. Who is their week two game? I just have Southern written down. I don't know if there's something different. I just have Southern. It's it's Southern week two. Okay, Southern. So it's not no state Southern. It's just Southern. Southern obviously a win. Uh, week three versus Mississippi State. I have I actually have LSU losing that game. I have LSU okay. losing against Mississippi State. Uh, we go to week four versus New Mexico. I have them winning that game. Uh, at Auburn, I have them winning. Uh. Then we go to week six. Of course, Tennessee, I already talked about it. I have them losing. We go to week seven at Florida. I have, I have LSU losing that, that ball game. And, it, and, and I go back to it when I, always oh. talk, when I always talk about the home and aways. And when I feel like a game is close, I tend to go with the team that is at home. And that, that's the situation I go with Florida. Uh, let me go back to week three right quick. Uh, what did you have for uh, week three, Mississippi State? I had a win. Okay, so... I, w- I wanted to discuss that a little bit because I feel like that is going to be a close game, and uh, and I I feel like I feel like people are gonna think I'm I'm a Bulldog fan, but not the Georgia Bulldog fan because I talk so much so highly on Mississippi State every single podcast. It seems like <laughs> Mississippi State's like it's Mississippi State's my West team. Not really, my West team is uh, let's see, I'll go A and M. A and M is my West team, <laughs> but I I like Mississippi State. Mississippi State's air raid offense, Mike Leach, all them guys. Uh, I feel like it's gonna be one of those games where they might just play LSU out the building, and you could be right. You could be right on LSU completely shutting that offense down. It is a possibility, but we talk about throwing the ball, tossing around the yard. There's, there's not a team out there that does it much better than Mike Leach. So, um, I, I have them losing against Mississippi State. Uh, so going back to Week Eight versus Ole Miss, uh, win right there. I have them winning at home. Then we have a bye week, Week Nine. Week Ten is an easy one for me versus Alabama. It's a loss. Um, like we talked about last year, uh, they played a close game against Alabama. I don't see that happening again. I think it, that was that was the one game last year where I felt like Alabama was not Alabama, and I want to say that it came relatively close after they lost it. Uh, I want to say it came like right after they lost to Texas A and M. So I feel like Alabama was kind of recovering from some stuff, and I, I don't see that happening again. Um, I have them losing at Arkansas. We talked about Arkansas. I know you had we had t- talked about them earlier. Arkansas is just going to be a tough team, and like I said, I have them two in the SEC West. So. I'm not going to take LSU over them. Uh, UAB, uh, Alabama, Birmingham. I have them uh, winning week 12 and then back to AM at week 13 with a loss. So uh, their final record for me is a six and six, which would put me right under the six and a half. I, I, but to be fair, this is not, this is not a team I'm going to put any type of money on. I, 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 there's not going to be any money out of my account deposited on LSU other than like game by game money lines or parlays or spreads or anything like that. But season, total season, no money's going towards LSU. That's pretty interesting. Um, I don't think it's a bad take. I think you mentioned a couple good things there. I see what you're saying about the Mississippi State game. Um, and here's, you know, t- to kind of touch on that for, you know, viewers or, or listeners. Um, we enjoy good football. 
We don't like bad football. We don't want to sit here and watch a team score 10 points. Now no. we're George fans, so we love to see our opponents score 10 points, but we want to score 90. So yeah. Mississippi State, while they might not have the most efficient offense, they have a flashy offense, and they score a lot of points, and they throw the ball a lot. So um, I see why you're high on them. Now, I do have LSU winning that game, and a reason I have LSU winning that game, and you'll see when I give my over-under on their win totals, um, I'm a little bit high on this LSU offense. I think this LSU offense is a sleeper. I think everybody's sleeping on them. I think they've got two good quarterbacks, uh, particularly Miles Brennan. I'm a fan of. Um, we're about to have an argument. We're about to have an argument. We're about to have the first argument on the podcast. We're about to have the first I, argument on the podcast. It's about, it's about I, to get tense. I think they've got a good wide receiver core. I don't know about their running game. They've got a good offensive line. I think they can sling the pill. Whether they go Jaden Daniels, whether they go Miles Brennan, I think they can sling the ball around. Um, and I've seen Brian Kelly too many times win games that I don't think he should. And um, I don't see any reason for me personally to think that he won't do any different. So before we dive into an argument on the podcast, I've got LSU with eight wins this season. Eight wins? Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to breathe. I got to breathe. I, 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 I'm on my second glass of whiskey. So this is kind of hard to take in for me. Um, it's it's, 10, it's 1045 on a work night, but, you know, we're, we're in there. Um, Kenny, they they were they were six and six in the regular season last year. Um, Max Max Johnson, Max Johnson, the quarterback last year that tossed uh twenty eight hundred yards, twenty seven touchdowns, and six interceptions is gone to Texas A and M. And the guys that they have competing now, I will say this: if Miles Brennan comes in and plays good, you mentioned it earlier in three starts in twenty twenty, he had eleven hundred yards, eleven touchdowns, three interceptions. But you can't tell me that Mister Jaden Daniels. The running quarterback from Arizona State that had 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions last year is going to come to the big boy conference and play football. Like, I, I, I don't know. That has, that has, in my personal eyes, and Anthony Richardson is probably better than how, how I depict him. I'm going to let Florida fans know that now. I hate you. And my girlfriend's a Florida fan. Madison, I, I love you, and I, I don't mean that towards you. <laughs> but for the most part, Florida fans, I, I, I despise you. But that, that, is he's if he plays with LSU, he's going to be Anthony Richardson level for me, and I'm I'm just not going to enjoy his football. He's a good runner. I mean, his his run his rushing stats are good, but until he comes over here and starts playing ball, I, I'm not going to have no input on a guy that was 10, 10, 10 touchdowns, ten interceptions at Arizona State. It would be lower on LSU if I was looking at it from a Jaden Daniels standpoint, but I think I think it's Miles Brennan. If it's I Miles Brennan, if it's Miles Brennan, then then I I I will give you some leeway right there. But if it's not, what, then I'm I'm out. And what I'll say about Max Johnson, who looked good last year, he had obviously some stellar numbers. Um, and I, this is no disrespect to Max Johnson. Max Johnson, if you're listening to this, we love you. We'd love to have you on. Yeah, um, current current backup quarterback takes the now. I think he's. Uh, I think Max Johnson is Zach Calzada. No, no. I, I like think, Calzada. Don't get me wrong, but come on, Max Johnson's Calzada. I think I think I think it would be uh, I think it's a similar situation. I really do. I mean, you're looking at a guy in in Max Johnson who was the backup to Miles Brennan, and Miles Brennan goes down with the injury in 2020 and doesn't come back. And um, you look at a guy like Zach Calzada. I mean, hell, man. You know, if we do some breakdowns, Zach Calzada is a guy that had 2,200 yards, 17 touchdowns, and nine picks as a backup last year, coming in taking over for Haynes King. And a dominant running offense that that A and M has, I don't think those are bad numbers. Are they stellar? By no means, but I don't think those are bad numbers. And Max Johnson, um, 
you know, if if anything goes to show for it, he takes the same position on the depth chart that um, Calzada had behind Haynes King headed into the season. So I don't think I'm the only one that thinks that. Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, now you don't got me pulling up Calzada's numbers. I might be I might be even lower on LSU. I mean, the guy came out had a had a twenty five point eight QBR against Ole Miss last year, and then he came out and threw three tutties, looked like Dan Marino on LSU's defense. So, I mean, you know, to each their own. But ah, I I, I don't it's know. Miles Brennan for me. Maybe it's Miles Brennan for me. He maybe you know maybe I'm high on him. I'm a Miles Brennan guy. LSU, they were injury depleted last year. They had some problems, but they're bringing back some. They're bringing back some dudes. They got some coaches in there. The defense is there. They got the pieces around them. If they can get a side quarterback in there to sling the pill, I think they'll do it. And in my opinion, I think Miles Brennan is an above average quarterback. You know, you know, I was feeling really hostile today. You know, it's all love on the podcast. Any arguments, all love. Uh, Absolutely, was- it's football. It's football. It's it's fun to have discussions. I was feeling a little hostile today because I had a little, couple of reviews and they were saying that we need to argue more. And I was trying to explain okay. to people that we're both Georgia fans and we're both Bryce fans. And that's the majority of the stuff we've talked about this year. So what are we going to argue about? Like, well, are we going to are we going to argue about gonna Georgia have... going 12 and 0 or Georgia going national championships? Like, no, we both believe it's going to happen. We're Georgia fans. What do you expect? So I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what we're going to argue about. We're going to argue about the next team, Mississippi State. Oh, we are definitely going to argue about the next team. And also, whenever it comes to Baker Mayfield in the NFL, we're going to have a good argument when the NFL starts back up. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, did you start the LSU stuff? or Are we done on LSU? LSU, they're going to win eight games. Yeah, six and six. Uh, like, just like last year. Uh, just like your father. Um, Brian Kelly. Okay, so I will talk about Brian Kelly one sec. Uh, that is the positive. I, I love Ed Ogeron. Ed Ogeron is... An awesome person, don't get me wrong, but the talent he had on that one team in 2019 when he won the national championship was above his head. Uh, Ed Ogeron is a below-average college football coach, and nobody can ever convince me anything other than that. Personality-wise, he's amazing, and I'm sure locker room-wise, he is top-tier, but when it comes to coaching a football game, Ed Ogeron is towards the bottom tier, and if he wasn't, he'd be a head coach right now and not some helper on Alabama's sideline next to Saban. Um, well, the thing with Ed Odron is, unless you have the greatest college football offense of all time, it's going to be hard to win games when you've got one hand on the playbook and the other hand uh, sweeping through Tinder looking for 21-year-old hookups on the weekends. Yeah, facts. And uh, I'm sure you have to be like uh, bilingual to go play LSU to understand what he's saying. So you have to have some type of broken French to see what he's saying because he's probably trying to pump you up and you're like, what the hell is this guy saying to me? I'm sure all you uh all you California recruits that try to go to LSU, y'all are having fun. But now y'all got Brian Kelly. You know, he's got that nice fake Southern accent that he tried to bring out, like we talked about earlier. But he's a great coach. So, you know, I, I, that is one thing I will give LSU over them. But I feel like the coach, the coach upgrade and the quarterback loss in my book right now is going to even out. And I see them doing what they did last year at six and six. All right. Well, if the fans want some arguments, let's give them some arguments, Jake. Mississippi State, you kick us off. I know you think they're going to win the national championship. So, I never said national championship, but we'll get into Mississippi State. Over-under is at six and a half. And uh, the schedule. So we look at the schedule. Week one, they have Memphis at home. I have them taking a dub versus Memphis. Week two at Arizona. I have them taking a win. Arizona won one football game last year, I believe. And uh, yeah, they're trash. So Mississippi State's going to blow them out the water. Week three, we just talked about it at LSU. I have them winning that football game. They're, Will Will Rogers is going to throw for 500 yards. He's going to go 45 for 50, and it's going to be a crazy game. 
Week four versus Bowling Green, that's a fat dub. Now, here's the first loss of the season. Week five versus Texas A&M. I don't care if it's at home or on the road. Mississippi State is not going to compete with Texas A&M. The, the, the line is going to be something I'm going to look at because if we can somehow get Mississippi State at anywhere below 10, like a nine and a half point spread, even an eight and a half point spread, I am going to bet Texas A&M. Texas A&M is, is, is legit. And I think Haynes King is going to be play a big part with Texas A&M, which I should probably say for a little bit later because we haven't gotten to the Aggies, have we yet? No Aggie stuff yet. So uh, then we have week six versus Arkansas. This is a really, really tough one. This is one that I had circled as as, as a top-tier game for me. Uh, I actually have Mississippi State winning this football game at home against Arkansas. And you're talking about somebody that has Arkansas as two in the SEC West. So, you know, Mississippi State's offense, the way they match up, and I always I feel like I'm such a homer talking about this offense. I need to shut up because I can't talk about the defensive side of the football. It's Mississippi State. What am I talking about? So, <laughs> you know, we got Arkansas week six. I'm not going to go too much in depth about it because you can ask Kenny at about 9.15. I was throwing this stuff together, typing as fast as my fingers could type, getting this stuff out. And I had them beating Arkansas in week six. Uh, week seven at Kentucky. I am very high on Kentucky. Um, Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops is an awesome coach. And every year, like I said, he wins eight, nine games a year. And nobody talks about Kentucky. And he brings in three stars and they win a ton of games. So, Mark Stoops is going to beat Mississippi State in Kentucky. Um, week 8, Alabama, that's going to be a blowout. Alabama's going to kick their ass pretty much. <laughs> week 9, it's a bye. Uh, week 10 versus Auburn, that's a dub. Week 11 versus Georgia, that is an L. That is a guaranteed L. Mississippi State will not be able to play it on the same football field as Georgia. Um, I'm sure if we can get a spread somewhere 45 and a half, I'll probably take Georgia still. Um, then we go to week 12 versus East Tennessee State. Uh, that's a dub for Mississippi State. And week 13 at Ole Miss, I have Mississippi State taking the L. So I had their final record being 7-5. Seven and, seven and five. So at a 6-6.5 six, six over, under, over, under, I have them going over just by a hair. So my love for Mississippi State is there. But it might, might not be much. And I'm going to tell you this. My rankings I had the other day when I was doing this schedule somehow matched up pretty fairly. And it might be because of a important week 13 matchup for mississippi state well i'm gonna dive into my list and uh it only feels right to start it off a little bit different than i have in the past and say that in 2022 the mississippi state bulldogs dogs will win five games Okay, okay. I, I am interested. Okay, so I'm 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 gonna guess uh Arkansas and LSU is the ones that you have different than me. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Give your breakdown. Let's see what you got. Week one, Memphis, W. Week two, Arizona, W. Week three at LSU in Death Valley. I've got I've got them taking the L there. I even went as far to not even put this on the list of key games for Mississippi State. Because I don't even think, I really don't think it's going to be close, if I'm being honest. I'm um, going to save this, and week three, I'm sure we'll probably watch uh, college football almost every Saturday together. Yeah. But, uh, we, we are definitely going to be tuning into this game, and this, this is going to be a heated rivalry. I, I have a Will Rogers jersey coming in right now from China. I, I, I probably shouldn't even say that. I, that might get me in like, trouble legally. But uh, Well, I, I, they're, <laughs> they're probably all made in China. Probably so. So what we'll, we'll just you're good. Yeah, we're we're fine. We're fine. We have we have we have we have we have connections. We're fine. Uh so you know we're we're gonna be pumped up for that game. Week three. Gotcha. Go ahead, we'll, Kenny. My we'll, bad. We'll place a friendly wager on that one. 
Um, all right, so week one, Memphis, W. Week two, Arizona, win. Week three, LSU, loss. Week four, Bowling Green, fat W. Week five, A&M, L. Week six, Arkansas, loss there. Week seven, Kentucky, loss there. Week eight, at Bama, loss there. By week, Auburn, I'll give them the win. Then you got Georgia. That is, like you just said, 45 and a half. I'll take it. That's a loss. Uh, ETSU. You can have it, Mississippi State. You'll win that one. And then Ole Miss, I've got them taking the loss there. So that gives me with their five wins at Memphis, Arizona, Bowling Green, and Auburn. Or and uh ETSU. That gives me my five. I can't I can't even talk. Um, I will say this is a team that went six and six last year. So we're talking about teams that, you know, the same record as LSU. So I, I I'm not me personally. I'm not going to argue too much, but, uh, you know, they have something in common with LSU, and I believe they had played Bama close for a little bit. So, you know, we'll we'll see going into the season. Uh, I like Mike Leach. I like the offense they run in the SEC. I feel like a lot of teams aren't going to be prepped for it. And Will Rogers will be back. So, like I said, 7-5. and five. Get them one game plus from last year. Before we close it out, what I will say about Mississippi State is that I think they're bringing back pretty much the same team as last year, head to toe. Um, yep. Obviously, the offensive production is going to be there because of the the sample size that you get from them. Um, but a big reason why I have them at the under at five wins this season is because I'm a firm believer that the majority of the SEC, East and West as a whole, has gotten better when you calculate out the Floridas, the Vandys, the Auburns. Um, and I think Mississippi State is is coming into this year after a six and six year at about the same. So that's where I think I'm going to see a little bit of regression from them is the teams that they match up with. They don't see the Floridas, they don't see the Vandys, they do see the Auburn, and I have them taking the win there. But the SEC as a whole, you mentioned Kentucky. If this was a preseason uh, a win loss ranking last year, I probably would have given Mississippi State the win over Kentucky. But after seeing what they've got and the team that they're bringing back, I have them taking the loss. And then you look at teams like A&M. So I guess my wild card here is LSU. That's what would get me to that six win. Still the under, but six win point bowl game eligibility. And I, for some reason, after looking at everything, I, I'm a little bit high on LSU. So uh, I've got Mississippi State at five. Um, and, I mean, I, I've got them at a pretty confident five, to be honest with you. I'm not even, even going to lie. Man, it's so funny, too, because I feel like you just said exactly the same stuff I would say about LSU. Like we yeah. we when we are on the same level because I had LSU at what I had LSU at six and six. So you know it, it it's gonna be fun to watch this year. Obviously we can keep we can keep track on this. Uh, Kenny is higher on LSU than me, and I am higher on Mississippi State than he is. So we can see how this goes. And like I said, that week thirteen matchup at LSU in Death Valley, it's gonna be a fun one. And and, and I don't think neither of us can doubt that for either team. It, it's it's gonna be one of those one. Well, actually, you already doubted it earlier in the podcast. Never mind. I'm not even gonna to talk to you about that because you didn't even mark it as a important game. So you know, <laughs> you know, we're we're still gonna be watching it. And uh, yeah, uh, whatever the spread is for LSU, I'm going to go uh, Mississippi State plus seven and a half. That's my guess. All right, all right. I'll take LSU money line in the over. Uh, Mississippi State money line over thirty one and a half points. For Mississippi right. State alone. For Mississippi State alone, by the way. 
Two teams left. It feels only fair to save the Aggies for last, so why don't you say we dive into these Rebels? All right, so we're talking about Ole Miss. Ole Miss over under is seven and a half. Um, so Ole Miss was kind of a weird one for me. Uh, seven and a half is a weird number because of the team I just talked about. And you know how I mentioned that uh, it's going to come down to a very important Week 13 matchup? That Week 13 matchup happens to be Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Um, so Week 1, we have Troy at home. That's going to be a dub. Then we have Central Arkansas at home. That's going to be a dub. At, ten- at Georgia Tech, I... You know, we're a Georgia podcast, but the one team in the state of Georgia that we're not going to sit here and openly root for is Georgia Tech. Now, whenever they go out and play a Clemson, I might be like, okay, come on, Georgia Tech, step it up. We love them Georgia boys. We'd love to face y'all in the college football playoff and destroy y'all. But y'all are never going to see that opportunity. Um, week four versus Tulsa, I have them winning that game. So they're going to start the season 4-0, four cupcake games. Now, I will say Tulsa is one team that seems like they might knock off a team. Am, am I wrong in that aspect of saying that Tulsa seems like every year that they somehow beat a beat a ranked team or a big name team? They're not wrong at all. They play hard nosed ball, and um, they're they're a team that uh, that can definitely sneak up on you. So no, you're not wrong. Tulsa always gives teams a good battle. Um, I do have them taking the win there though, and and to interject to avoid talking about dumpster fire organizations and dumpster fire programs, um, I've got them starting off four and zero as well. Okay, nice, nice. Uh. Yeah, we talk about Tulsa. I don't have that one circled, but you know, it's it's a game that could be forty-five to nothing, or, or Tulsa's a team that could easily sneak up on you. Uh, week five, I have them taking their first loss. They're going to play Kentucky at home, and I mentioned Kentucky earlier. I'm high on Kentucky. I think Mark Stoops is a great coach. I have them losing to Kentucky at home. Week five. Uh, week six at Vanderbilt. It doesn't matter if you're at Vanderbilt, if you're at home. It doesn't matter if you're playing on the moon or if you're playing in the most favorable. You could have eight. You could have. 22 starters hurt, and you will still probably beat Vanderbilt. So I've been taking 20. that win there. Yeah, 20. Let's, let's, that's it. Um, Week 7 versus Auburn. I have them beating Auburn. Or, yeah, beating Auburn at home. Uh, week 8 at LSU. I have them losing that game. I have them losing to LSU in Death Valley. Um, So right now, we're keeping track of it. I believe we're 6-2. and two. Um, I have them, but the problem is, is we get to this late point. Um. I have, uh, what? Where was I at? I have, I said they they're gonna beat they're gonna lose to Texas A and M. They have a bye week, and then they're gonna lose to Alabama, and they're gonna lose to Arkansas. Now, last time I was talking about Ole Miss, and now I'm looking at it. I think I have it backwards because when I was thinking about this, I had Ole Miss beating. Like I'm changing it live on the podcast. I had. I had I had Ole Miss losing to uh Mississippi State at home. Well, not at home. Well, yeah, at home. I'm tripping. I'm so sorry. At home, and that would give Mississippi State the lead over them for that for that three spot or that four spot. So I have them. I am so tripping right now. What the hell is going on? No, I have them beating Mississippi State at home. So they're going to go seven and five, or seven and five, and their win win over under was seven and a half. So I have them at seven and five, and I have them finishing right in front of Mississippi State because of that seven and five. Well, to to avoid covering the exact same bases you just did, um, we're completely identical, one hundred percent. I've got them beating Arkansas though, so um, I've got them at eight wins. 
Okay, so we're we're not too far off. And then again, we talk about Mississippi State or Ole Miss. I'm you don't got me thinking this Mississippi State thing so hard. We're talking about Ole Miss. Uh, we're a big Mississippi show. You know, I I'm pretty sure I had uh, well I had Mississippi State at five, and you had uh Mississippi State at six, and I want to say we flipped Mississippi State and LSU on ours. Um. I had this. This is my way to get Ole Miss in front of Mississippi State is beating them in that tiebreaker in Week Thirteen. Yeah, so that I, I is agree. that is my way of having Ole Miss in that four spot. Yeah, I would agree with that. The only difference is I um I have them beating Arkansas right there in Week Twelve. Yeah, we talked about it. The top the the two through four teams in the in the West they're kind of interchangeable to me. There's a lot of games on this that I could see Mississippi State winning. The Kentuckys, you know, the LSU's, the Arkansas, the hell, even maybe the Texas A&M's, you know, Ole Miss is one of those teams. And we talk about Jackson Dart being over there now. I think Jackson Dart's ready for a big season over there. Yeah, he's a stud. Yeah, and so, that, I mean, I, I agree with you at that. I'm echoing the same sentiment. Um, so as it stands right now, through my restructured after doing further research, SEC West rankings, um, I have Ole Miss and LSU both at eight wins, and I have LSU – with the edge over them because of a tie-breaking win um, in Death Valley. Okay, okay. So you, so, have, you have LSU edging out Ole Miss. I have Ole Miss edging out Mississippi State. There we go. Nice. Now let's, nice. Get, to the cream, let's get to the cream of the crop. Let's yeah, get top, to the... top tier team. You want to you take this one home, Kenny? You want to you start us out, and I'll, I'll finish this up? Yeah, yeah, we talk, I, mean, I, I, I will say we talked about short podcasts and we are an hour and 36 minutes deep. So <laughs> we're not but, very good at this short podcast thing. Yeah, look, college ball, everyone's passionate about it. I know we we, we love it. So um, especially, you know, specifically the SEC. So let's right. get into it, man. Tough, tough week um, one matchup. Yeah, tough week, tough week one matchup for the Aggies. Uh, they have to play. The uh the powerhouse of a program that is Sam Houston, uh, Bearcats spelled incorrectly with a K, in College Station at Wait, is, is that is that real? Yeah, Bearcats B E A R K A T S. That is that is terrible, and I cannot stand Sam Houston. I can't say I probably ever watched a Sam Houston game, but I will root for you to go Owen twelve every year. Look, and 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 I'm with you. Um. So, let's get into it. Texas A&M. Now, I think they're pretty unanimously the number two ranked team heading into the season among everyone's SEC West rankings behind Alabama. They're an interesting team for a couple reasons. One thing about Texas A&M that has got a lot of question marks in people's heads is the quarterback situation. Haynes King. He played one and a half games for him. He played good ball. He wasn't amazing, but he was a he was a redshirt freshman who played a game and a half before breaking his leg. Now he got the starting spot over Calzada, who had a good year. So it goes to show that the the team obviously thought he was a better option. They bring in Max Johnson, and Haynes King edges him out for the starting job for the second year in a row. Um, so there's something there. The dude the dude is a freak. He was I think the fifth ranked dual threat quarterback of his class. Um, and I'm excited to see him play some some extended time football. Hopefully, he can you know get rid of the injuries and come back from it. And he's had enough time to where he can get in there and play some good ball. But obviously, it's looking like that is the case because he does have the starting job as of now. 
with that being said, I want to do a little breakdown before we get to the schedule on what I'm expecting. And I have a, uh, I don't know if we need to throw a, a rat porn, a, 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 a bell, a cowbell, whatever. But let's go ahead and ring the bell, boys. Get your get your sports books fired up. Let's place a bet right now. Um, Texas A&M is the team that contains the 2022 Heisman winner. Well, they 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 play the they play the Heisman winner week three. Uh, I I don't know if you got it like mixed up with words, but. Week week three is when they play the Heisman winner. Oh oh, excuse me, excuse me. Week three, Miami at home. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, I see what you're saying there. I must I must have misspoken. I apologize. He is the clear favorite. Um, <laughs> no. In all seriousness, in all seriousness, I I'm not saying Heisman sleeper. I'm saying my pick. What I will be putting my hard earned money on Devon A. Chain is the Heisman winner this season as a guy who watches the SEC week in and week out this may come to a shock to some of our listeners some of our fans because you may be thinking who the hell is this guy well let me tell you who this guy is Devon A. Chain was the number two running back for the Texas A&M Aggies last year behind Isaiah Spiller who was a top draft pick who was a top running back taken in this year's draft he was a workhorse he was a guy that's been around he earned Heisman notoriety headed into the season and throughout the season the injury bug hit him and boy did this A-chain kid come out of nowhere let's do a little breakdown Devon A-chain 1,170 total yards last year 10 touchdowns he averaged seven yards per carry as the number two back on the team this guy runs a 4-3-2 40-yard dash. He returns kicks. He runs all around the field. You want to talk about a guy with limited playing time, earning SEC honors, and then you give him the number one spot in this offense? I think you're. I think he's primed for a gigantic season. I would not be surprised to see him come up on that Christian McCaffrey type year, numbers-wise. Guys, I know you might be thinking, Kenny, what are you talking about? Who is this guy? Pull up the YouTube. Type this guy's name is. Type this guy's name in. Watch some highlights. You will be a fan. You will feel the same way that I do, and watch him play because he will win you over. He looks like Alvin Kamara with even more burners. Like this guy is an absolute stud. He catches the ball. He runs the ball. He does everything you ask of him. So Texas A&M injuries absolutely decimated this team last year, and they had an amazing season as far as a Texas A&M season goes. Um, most importantly, the starting quarterback situation. Obviously, we covered it. Haynes King broke his leg in game two. He's coming back, and they're bringing back their entire wide receiving core, just about. I mean, this wide receiving core is good. They're loaded with studs. My Heisman pick, obviously, A-Chain. He's in the offense. He's going he's gonna to win the Heisman. He's going to make me some money. They've got a top two offensive line in the SEC. They're bringing back everybody. They got big boys. They're bringing in recruits. They got the NIL deals going. Jimbo's got the boys buzzing. They're going to protect Haynes. They're going to protect A-Chain. He's going to run everywhere. They're going to throw everywhere. I'm really, really high on this team. Um, Antonio Johnson. I've got a star next to him because I want to mention this guy. He earned all SEC and All-American honors this year as a nickel and is moving to safety. He's going to start at free safety for the Aggies. They're going to pay him up, pair him up with Damani Richardson. This is one of the best safety tandems in all of college football, not just the SEC. 
He's making the move because the cornerback room is absolutely loaded. They've got recruits. They've got returning players. They lock guys down. You're going to see a lot of good play come from this defensive backfield. Um, defensive line, also loaded. They stop the run. They get after the passer. They had they racked up sacks last year. Um, the weak part of this team is the linebacking core. The linebacking core was a weak part last year. It's a weak part this year. They bring in some recruits. But with a team like Texas A&M, where they get after the quarterback, they stop the run, and they lock down the passing game, you've got hard-hitting safeties. These guys are lower in the helmet. They're getting targeting calls. You know, they might not be the safest football you've ever seen, but it it will get you excited. Um, so I'm very, very high on this Texas A&M team. And I will say that the defense, I think, is the strong point of the team. The running game, obviously, they've got the Heisman winner back there. Um, the question mark for me is the passing game. They've got the they've got the weapons to do what they can. They've got some of the best weapons in the country, in the SEC specifically. So when you're talking about ranking a team up there with the others in the SEC West, I'm high on A&M. They're the clear-cut number two for me. I think they're going to give everybody a run for their money except Alabama. Um, so let's break, let, let's break it down a little bit more from a schedule perspective. Obviously, week one, Sam Houston. Week two, App State. Week three, Miami. A lot of people have this as a key game. It did make my list of key games. However, I do have them taking the win there. I probably will be betting them to cover, depending on what that line comes out to. I think Miami's on the uprise. I really do. I like Tyler. I think he's a good quarterback. I like Crystal Ball. I think he's a good coach. But I think Miami's probably a year or two out from really, really being what they are what they could be and what a lot of people think they should. And unfortunately, I think when you bring a team like that into Kyle Field to play the, to play the Aggies at home and what is undoubtedly the hardest environment in college football to play in, um, it's going to be a little bit too much for the Hurricanes. Um, week four, Arkansas in a neutral site at AT&T Stadium, as Jake mentioned earlier. Um, I, I've got them winning that game pretty comfortably as well. Um, at Mississippi State, um, I think they're going to win that game. It did not make my list of key games. At Alabama, I do have them taking the L here for multiple reasons. Number one, Alabama's a better football team from head to toe. They return Bryce Young. They return the defense. They, they bring back everybody they bring back, and uh, you know, Alabama's probably clear-cut number one team in the country. So, I've, you know, no difference for me here. You're not going to get an argument out of that for me. And Alabama's also amazing in revenge games. They always come out on top. The boys get fired up. Saban and Jimbo have the drama going on. I would love to see an upset here. But I think you take that A&M team into Tuscaloosa in a revenge game against the Crimson Tide. I don't think it's going to be in their favor. Um, then you take the bye week, come out of the bye week, and head into South Carolina to play the Cox in Columbia. Um, I've got them taking the win there. I'm not super high on South Carolina because of Spencer Rattler, but I do think they're a good football team. I have it as a key game on my list. If they were to take an L here, it wouldn't surprise me. But um, I do have them taking the win here. Now, you head into a little bit of a, of a schedule lineup where it, it's neither here nor there from, from many angles. You take Ole Miss, you bring them in, into Kyle Field, then you got Florida into Kyle Field. Um, that's two home games against two teams, one of which is Florida, which we hate and don't like, and I think they're going to win by 50. Uh, Ole Miss is, is an interesting one to me. It seems like there's always a game, and it's usually LSU, where even if they play in College Station, uh, A&M has a hard time. So I'm looking at either one of these, and not to mention Auburn and UMass guys is here at week 11 and 12. I've, you know, needless to say, you got to win versus both of those teams. So I'm looking at A&M from this perspective, right? I'm expecting them to lose to Bama, and I'm expecting them to run into a situation here with LSU 
and Ole Miss. I think they're going to lose one of those games. I do. I think it's going to happen. I don't want it to happen, um, but but I think it will. Uh, even South Carolina, even though I had it as a win, um, it, it's a it's a game to where you could see a slip up here. So uh, with that being said, Jake, I've done my schedule breakdown. I've pumped the A chain horn. I, I've done everything I needed to say. So before I get into my to my win total, let's hear what you got to say. So. It- I want, I want to mention the HA train because, you know, I feel like people in the SEC, we talk about the uh, we talk about the consistency of a Chris Rodriguez uh, or a Tank Bixby. We talk about the upside of a Jameer Gibbs and like a Kenny Mack. But, you know, A-Chain to me is the middle ground of that, especially the upside, because I feel like people aren't talking about a guy like A-Chain enough. Like, Man, I, th- I think you might be right on the money about a running back. Like, A-Chain is going to put up some numbers this year at Texas A&M. And we talk about the quarterback situation. I, I feel like I'm opposite. Like, to me, I think Haynes King, I'm, I'm going to lock it in right here. Haynes King, you know, I know, what, Zach Calzada's at Texas A&M now? Yeah. No, he's, uh, Calzada's at Auburn. Auburn, he left. Who? Max Johnson is at Texas A&M now. Yeah, my my fault. I, I got I got the mix up. Uh, Haynes King is going to take that job, and Haynes King is going to be a great quarterback, a top five quarterback in the SEC. You heard it here bell. first. Top ding, five ding, quarterback ding, ding, ding. in the SEC. I'm not going to put him above Bryce Young. I'm not going to put him above a Will Levis or a Stetson Bennett. Now that four through that that four and after range to me in the SEC is wide open, and he could easily hop in there. Um, so over under, we talked about eight and a half. Um, Sam Houston, that's a dub. App State, that's a dub. Miami, we mentioned it. I love Tyler Van Dyke. I love what he does at Miami. But whenever you go into Texas A&M and you're playing with the 12th man, you're going to take the L. I, I have Miami losing that game. Uh, Texas A&M is starting off the season 3-0. Then they go into a neutral side at AT&T Stadium. We talked about it earlier on Arkansas schedule. That is a home game for Texas A&M to me. And I have Texas A&M winning, so 4-0. and At Mississippi State, as much as I love my Mississippi State Bulldogs. They're going to lose that game to Texas A&M, and Texas A&M is 5-0. Um, Alabama, you got to ride it in an L. Like I said, I, I, I put Alabama at 12-0. and um, I can't pick Alabama losing to any team. So, you know, we're going into the bye week. Week 7 is a bye week. Uh, and, and it's funny you talked about it because me at week 8 with South Carolina, I have them going to South Carolina and losing that football game. And I you mentioned, I think it's a possibility. I, I like that pick. I, I, I was with, right there. I mentioned it. With South Carolina, Ole Miss, and LSU, I don't think they come out of all three of those games unscathed. I think there's, I think there's going to be a loss in there somewhere. And it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that they're going to lose one of those games because then I go on to Week Nine. I think they beat Ole Miss at home. Then in Week Ten, they beat Florida at home. Then they travel, travel over to Old Auburn, and they beat Auburn on the road. Then obviously UMass is a win at home, and then LSU is a win at home. So I think we might have somewhat the same record. I have Texas A&M going a whopping ten and two this year, and that means they are going to hit that over. And an eight and a half over, honestly, is a really good bet to me to hit that over. Yeah, I'm at ten as well. Needless to say, we have pretty identical uh, opinions on this, and I think you know it. It, it looks like it to me. You come off the bye and you see one, two, three, four, five, six games, uh, you know, post bye week. You're getting into late October, early November. That's big boy ball. Uh, you're playing teams that they might not be as you know the the Floridas and Auburns. They're not the Florida and Auburn teams of past, but it's still big boy ball. 
um, and you're getting to the prime time of the season. So, yeah, South Carolina, Ole Miss, LSU, watch out in those three games for a loss from this Aggie team. Um, I do think they finished 10-2, and and um, I agree with you 100%. And I always talk about, and I feel like a broken record right now because I'm mentioning it again, the home and away, uh, the reason I would te- the reason I went with South Carolina over the other teams because they're playing South Carolina in South Carolina. So that that that's kind of my lean there. Um, you know, if, if they were playing a team like Ole Miss, and obviously it, we we preach it so much that this is a team that, you know, they could lose, and, and I hope not because I, I talked about it earlier, Texas A&M is my team in the West that I root for. And I, I know you're the same way. I got it from you. So, you know, Texas A&M is kind of our boys in the West. Uh, if they play Georgia, obviously, we're Georgia fans. We're going to root for Georgia. But while they're playing the West, we're going to root for them in the West. Uh, and th- this is a team that could lose. They, they honestly could lose three games in those last couple weeks. So, you know, I have them at 10-2. and two, And I feel like it's a pretty safe bet to hit the over on the 8.5. But you really never know with college ball. And... I'm high on Haynes King. I think Haynes King is a really, really good quarterback. And I mentioned uh, Max Johnson earlier. And Max Johnson is, again, a stud. And he's going over there. But I feel like the upside with Haynes King. And when I look at Haynes King, it's going to be funny because I talk about my guy Tyler Van Dyke. And uh, I, I feel like Haynes King is going to make an upcoming just like kind of like Tyler Van Dyke did at Miami last year in the second half of the year. I agree. I, I, I like Haynes a lot. The only reason I'm kind of handicapping my opinions on him is just because of of the, the lack of experience, I guess you could say. But you look at this A&M team, man, um, and I don't want to get into the whole Ohio State situation. This isn't a Big Ten episode, but um, Ohio State's one of those teams to where regardless of who they have on the team or the previous year they had or who they lost, they're always a Ohio State's going to win it all this year. This is the year they're going to contend. And uh, they just haven't really been able to do it. Um, you know, they had the one year with Fields, and then they get blown out in the natty. Um, so, you know, take it as you will. I don't think A&M's there yet, but they are at the risk of becoming an Ohio State caliber team from the, the win predictions at the beginning of the year of A&M's going to make a run at it, A&M's going to make a run at it. Now, as the NIL develops and the money's coming in and everybody's going, they you know, get the top recruiting classes every year. You know, they're top three year in, year out since Jimbo's been there. So I, I think you can have high hopes for this A&M team. Um, so I'm just, you know, to avoid being one of those Ohio State's going to win it all as far as Texas A&M goes, I, I am handicapping myself from the Haynes King perspective. But, no, if I'm being honest, I think he's a really good player. And uh, it's very evident that the coaching staff thinks so as well because they give him the starting nod two years in a row against two quality quarterbacks in Max Johnson and, and Zach Calzada. So, um, no, I'm with you. I think he's going to have a big year. A-Chain's going to win the Heisman. Lock it in right now. That's my bet. If I change it, shoot me in the head. And it's it's funny because I, I wanted to mention before we end the podcast, I wanted to go back to that Week 6, six matchup against Alabama. Um. Me personally, in my mind, Alabama is going to blow Texas A&M out of the water because Jimbo came out and said he was going to be the first one. I'm going to be the first one to beat Saban, and he did it. And I, I know old Nick is going to get the guys rallied up for that matchup, and they, they, they're not going to be light on Texas A&M. I'm going to let you know that right now. So, you know, if they They've go— got revenge games, man. They've got those things figured out. Yeah, if you go, yeah, you don't hurt Saban's feelings. You don't, you don't mess with Saban. If you go into that week six, six going into Tuscaloosa, 
it could get ugly for AM. But I, I agree with you. I think I think AM's on the come up. And as soon as Saban gets out the SEC, you know, with how they recruit and how Jimbo's going at AM with the talent he's getting around there, um, they're they're gonna be deadly. And honestly, with how college football is going, and that this 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 might be a take right here. Look out for him, man. I mean, you you talk about a team that that could possibly be up there in the eleven and one category, and you know if if they if they manage to beat Bama this year, it could be it could be playing for that SEC championship. You look at an SEC West where, I mean, obviously the SEC is the SEC, and you know, Vandy is Vandy. We've mentioned that they went two and ten last year, so, but the entire SEC West was bowl eligible last year. Like these are good teams. Yeah. Like I said, LSU um, was last place, and they were six and six. Texas A&M went eight and four and finished third to last in the SEC West, which is nuts to think an eight and four team because an eight and four for a lot of programs is a victory. And if you were an A&M fan last year going into the year, you had some hype behind you. But if you had somebody tell you in 2020, "Hey, A&M's going to be an eight win team," you probably would have taken that, and you probably would have been happy with it. Yeah, for sure. And then you do you do it with a backup quarterback and an injury riddled team like. They didn't do anything but get better. They brought in the recruits. They brought in some transfers. They get their quarterback back. They, you know, A-Chain, to, and I love Spiller. I think Isaiah Spiller is an amazing player. He got some Heisman nods, some Heisman talk action before the season started, and he had a little injury trouble too. But I think A-Chain's an upgrade from Spiller. I think A-Chain is, um, you know, you talk about a guy going back to uh, Trey Will, Travion Williams, who is uh, a very, very exciting player. Ended up getting drafted by the Bengals. Um, you know, A-Chain to me is, is I'm expecting this guy, obviously, I've got him as my Heisman favorite. I'm expecting this guy to be the best running back in Texas A&M recent program history, and um, I'm high on him too. So I handicap, I can handicap all I want with the quarterback situation, but it, it would be wrong of me to tell you anything but the truth, and the truth to me is that if A&M had won one more game last year, they would have been tied for third in the SEC West. So uh, I expect them to take the number two spot. Yeah, and I I don't feel like I have anything else to add on to that besides, I mean this was this was a fun podcast. I feel, I feel like we've had back to back like great podcasts, and I feel like the main reason behind that is because we are talking about college football, and football season is rolling around, and we are so excited to get this started. Man, imagine imagine us doing these Sunday night episodes, these Monday morning podcasts, and we get to cover a whole full day of sec football and uh you know we're talking about these these uh rankings and stuff but we have a couple weeks until football starts i believe it's what two and a half weeks two it's actually about three weeks right now a little bit under three weeks we have college football so you know i'm sure that you know we might be able to squeeze in some acc breakdown some s obviously we're gonna sec wet or sec east because we got georgia but i mean we have so much stuff to talk about before then and we're talking about limiting podcasts to we 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 had a phone call the other day. We talked about limiting podcasts to an hour, forty five minutes, and we are on here right now, about to hit the two hour mark on this podcast. So, you know, I I think I think we're at a comfortable spot right now, where where we're kind of getting we're kind of winding down. We then covered as much as we want to, but you know, we're wide open. I I'm I'm good on the covered spot, and I, I want to apologize first because for some reason this this is only for the stream people. The YouTube stream was acting really wild today, and it kind of cut off halfway through. So what I might do is I might just post the stream tomorrow because I have the whole recording. So I'll just post it tomorrow, which is fine. 
you know, just listen to it then. But I've had a lot of drop frames, so I want to say sorry to you guys. The podcast side, y'all should be perfectly fine. Everybody should be listening to it perfectly clear because that does not affect the video. So, Kenny, you have anything you want to end out on? I just want to say that we're super excited to uh, to be out here talking football. You know, it get, it's getting closer to that time of the year, and we say it every episode. But, you know, each time we wake up, we're a day closer to college football, and college football is undoubtedly the best time of the year. Um, as the NFL gets a little bit closer, we'll dive a little bit more into that, into details in that. And, you know, we're going to talk Braves. We're always going to talk Braves because we're diehard Braves fans. Um but when it gets to this college football season, this football season in general, man, it's a different feeling. It, it sends a little chill up your spine. It gets you excited on a different level. So, yeah, we talked about limiting the podcast, making them a little bit shorter. And, you know, we we hope to not hound you guys with, with two-hour podcasts week in and week out. But, man, when you're breaking down college football and, and you're as passionate as us, as I'm sure you guys are listening, um, it's exciting. And it's hard to uh, – it's it's hard to get out of that mindset of of we're here we're we're here we're we're almost here technically you know week zero is three weeks away like like Jake said and it won't be long we'll be kicking back with a nice cold Miller Lite watching the watching the dogs go out there and and route whoever they play so can't wait to get into some messy sea talk and to some more college football talk as the time passes and we just appreciate you guys for listening and be sure to check us out on all the socials and um, you know stay tuned in we got some good stuff coming for you. And I, w- I wanted to say a couple things to end out the podcast, too. Uh, so what the plan is, is we're planning on putting out episodes uh, podcast-wise. We're planning on putting episodes Monday morning, Wednesday morning, and Friday morning weekly. So for the stream side, that means Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. But podcast, you should get one Monday morning, Wednesday morning, and Friday morning. So one to begin the week, one in the middle, and one at the end. Also, we're talking about college football in uh, three weeks. Uh, me and... Uh, Mr. Kenny over here will be on a cruise and we are going to be cruise betting on some Vanderbilt Hawaii, which we are very excited about. The betting season's about to come back around and we'll have plenty of betting news for y'all. We're, I feel like we're pretty decent when it comes to college football betting. What would you say, Kenny? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're plus betters when it comes to college. Football is really what we know. You know, you can bet on baseball all you want to or any other sport all you want to, but football, it, when it really breaks down and, and it comes down to the X's and O's, and the strategy behind it, it's a little bit easier to handicap a football team or a football game than it is any other sport. So, yeah, look out for that. We're not sharps by any means, you know, we're, we're definitely not, but we enjoy it. We're passionate about it. And, um, you know, the stats and the, 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 the odds are something that we follow regardless of betting just because we're sports fans. So, yeah, if you guys are into that, if you're into even that kind of world of sports betting or, or, or handicapping games, then you'll definitely be into the kind of content that we're going to come up with this, this upcoming football season. Yeah, we're posting consistent content. We're trying to get consistent content out there on TikTok, which is uh, Peach State Tailgate, uh, Twitter, which is Peach State Pod, and YouTube, Peach State Tailgate. So we're going to be posting clips and stuff from the stream. So if you want to actually see our face and see our reactions with the stuff, you know, you could probably check it out there. The streams get posted. Like I said earlier, this one's kind of complicated, so I'll just post this whole stream tomorrow video-wise because this one's been acting up today i don't know why we've been having some stream delays but uh you know it, it, it was a great podcast kenny i think i think it's the perfect time to hit the outro i'll go ahead and hit my part of it and i'll let you finish it out uh we want to say thank you so much to all you guys uh it, it's it's been a great week week plus you know we we just started this thing i believe last uh i want to say last monday was it I, I believe it was last monday was our first episode that we had recorded and now we're sunday so we're 
we're really a week. We're just right at a week, and you know, we're four episodes in, and man, it has been it has been more than what I've expected. Like I've enjoyed this more than what I expected. I was nervous going into this whole process, thinking that maybe I I wasn't ready for it. I like how can I get in here and talk sports for two hours? Then you turn on the camera. You start recording and then all of a sudden everything starts flowing and you start doing research and it makes you feel like you learned so much more about stuff you already know about. And you're like, man, this this Utah State team, I didn't even know anything about. I just researched for 30 minutes. So it's 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 a really fun uh, process. And, you know, if you guys have, have any reviews or anything like that, you can you can leave the ratings on uh, Twitch. But I highly recommend you hit us up on Twitter. Our DMs are always open. So. You know, if you have any questions or any like concerns, letting us know the whole process, just hit us on Twitter and we'll we'll be sure to try to fix those. We want to do a Q&A here soon. I feel like that'd be a lot of fun to do. Uh, so any type of questions talking about your, your college football team, your NFL team, your MLB team, your NBA team. We even like the NBA, even though it's offseason. So we haven't talked much about it. So just hit us on Twitter or whatever you want to hit us on. And, you know, we'll get back to you and we'll we'll make sure we handle that type of stuff. So that that's my intro. Again, thank you guys. And uh deuces kenny I'll let, I'll let you take it over from here again just to echo what jake said we appreciate any kind of feedback you guys can give us anything you give us negative positive it just helps us to be better and helps us to make the show better so we appreciate anything uh like jake said uh, earlier check us out on all the socials tiktok twitter check us out on youtube wherever you get your podcast whether it be spotify apple podcast be sure to leave us a review anything you can do to help us make the show better reach out. Don't hesitate. We appreciate it. So um, the response since this podcast has started has been more than, than Jake and I could have imagined. So we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate all the downloads and all the listens that you guys are giving us. And um, we're, we're looking forward to bringing you some more content and keeping this ship rolling. Um, so thank you guys. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Should I, should I hit one more, one more, one more shameless plug? Uh, you know, if you want to catch me on the gaming side, I'm going to throw this out there. <laughs> If you want to catch the MLB, I know that uh, me and Kenny both play MLB the show, and I actually stream MLB the show. So the Snake Seven Seven One Four on Twitch, check me out. You know, we'll, we'll, and I talk about the podcast on there. So you know, I'll throw that out there too. But again, we appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll see y'all later. See y'all.